action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? A past patiently waiting and passionately smashing Every expectation, every action to act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today, to no one's surprise, considering the feed you are in, we are continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be focusing on songs 36 through 39. We know Hurricane, the Reynolds pamphlet, and Burn. Yeah, it's going to be a super peppy episode, ladies and gentlemen. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So, no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be. Before we get started, as always, this episode of Let's Dive Deep does contain adult content. The kind of adult content varies, but it may or may not include uh, telling the whole world that you've just had an affair. If that is not something you would like your kids uh, to hear about or talk about, I recommend uh, listening to this podcast without them in your presence. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. If that's not something you want your kids to hear or talk about, go ahead and tune on out, send them away, and then come back. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, we always take into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. And finally, if you are enjoying this podcast, you can head into your favorite podcatcher and do a couple of things. First is leave us one of them five-star reviews wherever you are listening to this. Hit the, hit the subscribe button or the download button or whatever the button looks like wherever you are listening to this. And additionally, I have done a let's dive deep, deep dive into the first season of Bridgerton. And after Hamilton is done, if you're listening to this in the way future, there'll be more deep dives to come. So just be in the space on your favorite podcatcher. Search let's dive deep and see what other deep dive um, either myself, Connor, or the both of us have done over there. Um, and finally, uh, we would love to hear from you. We have a Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. We have a Gmail, uh, Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Uh, interacting with us on either of those two platforms is a fantastic idea. You really should listen to the Bridgerton series. My mom listens to it, and I don't think you need <laughs> any more endorsement than that. So, okay, that's it. That's all of the housekeeping. We are now ready to go, so let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. Bradley is still having his coffee. We're at slightly different timetables today, but that's okay. And now let's dive deep into Hamilton. Dear sir, I hope this letter finds you in good health and in a prosperous enough position to put wealth in the pockets of people like me down on their luck. You see, that was my wife when you decided. Wow. She courted me. 
Escorted me to bed and when she had me in a corner That's when Reynolds extorted me for resortedly I paid him quarterly I may have mortally wounded my prospects But my papers are orderly As you can see I kept a record of every check in my checkered history Check it again against your list and see consistency I never spent a cent that wasn't mine You sent the dogs out to my sense, that's fine Yes, I have reasons for shame But I have not committed treason and sullied my good name As you can see, I have done nothing to provoke legal action Are my answers to your satisfaction? My God <laughs> Gentlemen, let's go So? The people, people won't, won't know what we know Burr, how do I know you won't use this against me the next time we go toe-to-toe? -to -toe? Alexander, rumors only grow And we both know what we know Hello everybody, Bradley here, and I wouldn't normally pop into a podcast like this while I'm editing it, but we recorded this episode a while ago, and we have a few big announcements for you guys that we didn't want you to miss, so we're putting them right at the top of this podcast. The first announcement concerns what is going to happen after Let's Dive Deep Hamilton has finished. After this episode, we have about three more episodes in Act 2 to cover up all of the songs in the musical. Then we obviously have our kind of end of Act 2 uh, episodes as well. We have to talk about our awards for the act. We have to talk about our awards for the entire musical. We are going to have to do kind of one big wrap-up podcast talking about the musical as a whole now that we've done such a thorough deep dive on it. But after that, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton will have finished, and we didn't want to leave you hanging on what is next for us after this journey has concluded. Connor and I have had the absolute best time doing Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. At the beginning, we weren't really sure how this was going to work. Would this be successful? Would we enjoy it? Would people listen to it? Would it just be a two-hour inconvenience every weekend to dive deep into Hamilton? It has turned out to be the most amazing time. We've loved kind of just chatting about a thing we love every single week with each other. We've loved sharing that with you guys, and we didn't want that to stop. So I would like to announce today on this podcast that after Let's Dive Deep Hamilton is finished, Connor and I will be embarking on another journey diving deep into a pop culture phenomenon that we both love. Let's dive deep. Harry Potter will be hitting your feed sometime in December of this year. Well, we still haven't quite kind of finalized Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter enough yet to give you any more details right now. I just wanted to put this at the top of the podcast. So as Let's Dive Deep Hamilton is ending, as you're listening to the next few episodes, you can look forward to Connor and I continuing to deep dive into your favorite pop culture phenomenons. Hopefully, if you like Harry Potter after the Hamilton podcast is over, you will enjoy kind of hopping over to the Harry Potter feed and listening, as, listening to us dive deep into the books, dive deep into the movies, pretty much just do just as a thorough of a job with Harry Potter as we've done with Hamilton. With Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter on the horizon, Connor and I have been looking for ways to kind of expand our content creation opportunities and give you guys a chance to be a little more involved with the podcast. So Connor and I have decided to set up a Let's Dive Deep Patreon page. Patreon is a website that allows for supporters of a podcast like yourself to financially back the podcast in a small way in exchange for bonus content, behind the scenes, access, those types of things. Patreon works on a tiered system, so our lowest tier starts at around $3 a month, just around a cup of coffee, and for that you will get early access to all of our podcast episodes. As you go up in tiers, there are a few other types of bonus content for you guys. We have access to our show notes, which is going to be very exciting. For Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, we're going to be doing uh, some 20-minute short episodes on a variety of just little nits to pick in the Wizarding World, and those will all be available on Patreon as well. 
If you've really enjoyed Let's Dive Deep Hamilton and are keen in supporting the podcast in that way, feel free to check out the link in the show notes. It will be patreon.com slash let's dive deep. If not, if you just want to keep enjoying the content as you are, don't even worry about it. Just skip over this part and let's dive deep into Hamilton. All right, before we get into We Know, just a few things on old Bradley's end here. I'm still running my air conditioner. Canada is still melting, and I would not like to melt along with it. So if you can hear my air conditioner, I apologize. I try to EQ it out, but hey, I'm not a professional audio engineer, so I'll do my best. Also, 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 we have been a bit bit behind recently in throwing these up. We just have life things. You know, people are working. People are busy. Um, So if your email or tweet is going to be like, hey, when's the next episode coming out? We're trying to do them weekly. We'll get them out when we can. We don't hate you or the podcast. We love doing it. It's just taking us a minute to, uh, to get through it. Anyways, we are here with We Know. And what I love about this song so far, just right off the top, is it just gets you into exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you know uh, from the end of the last song that these guys like, let's tell them what we know. And it's like, okay, so these guys know something. And if you're watching this in real time, you assume what they know is about Mariah Reynolds. So they go to confront Hamilton, and you get this really cool, like, sneaky, kind of suspenseful music to indicate, like, oh, this is going to be a, an interrogation. And when they walk in to the room, Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton kind of does this really resentful, like, fuck, these three are here. And the way he gives each of their titles, he's just like Jefferson Madison, but the way he says Senator and Senator Burr, like you can tell he still holds that little bit of animosity um, from the election song a a few songs ago. Yeah, I could not agree more. I also love that this in a way harkens back to congrats to you, Lieutenant Colonel. Hamilton is always paying attention to Burr's status. And now that attention that he's paying to Burr's status is further amplified by the fact that Burr's elevation has some relevance to Hamilton's family. And so Hamilton, you know, he's he's got to get that dig in, like, especially now because it has to deal with his family. He's going to totally throw that out like Senator Burr. You know, right. uh, like yeah, Hamilton I love has to it. wake up every day being represented by Aaron Burr. That must grind his gears. Like just every morning being like, <laughs> fuck, he's my senator must really bother him. I also want to point out, we really try to just analyze the musical as the musical, but the, the inspiration for the musical is also always part of our discussion. This is one of the points where, where Lin-Manuel takes the biggest creative liberty with how all of this actually went down. Mainly, I'm assuming, just to keep the core characters we know in the game here. As far as I can tell, Jefferson, Madison, or Burr had very little to do, especially as a group, but even individually, with the whole Reynolds pamphlet thing. There was a whole separate thing. There's a really good episode of Drunk History with Lin-Manuel Miranda where he's completely trashed, trying to explain the James Reynolds getting arrested and like yelling to a courtroom that Hamilton had this affair. So there's a few things going on here. And while we're talking about um, the creative liberties, I do want to apologize a little bit uh, for my take on the Reynolds pamphlet in the Reynolds, or not the Reynolds pamphlet, um, uh, about the Reynolds situation in the episode where we talked about that affair the first time, uh, because it turns out the truth of the Reynolds pamphlet is fucking hilarious. So parts of it are so much better and parts of it are so much worse. On the worst side, Hamilton actually has this affair for like a year which is a longer period of time than the musical gives him. Like, the the musical seems to indicate that this affair only happened while Eliza was upstate for like a month or two, and not for an entire year. 
on the better side in the real Reynolds pamphlet, Hamilton apologized? Question mark. Is that better? I don't know if that's better, but I encourage you. The point I'm trying to make is I encourage you to go uh, wherever Wikipedia is a good starting point and just kind of read through some of the, the, the real kind of historical record on the Reynolds pamphlet. It's like 47 pages long and fucking nuts. It's insane. Sorry, yeah, I'm getting ahead to the is, Reynolds pamphlet here, but like, it's insane. It is kind of crazy the amount of detail that he eventually publishes, right? And I and I think that, I think I agree with you. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but discussing that now, it is relevant because it does feed into how wrong these three are in approaching him about financial speculation when they had no idea what they were actually dealing with. And so I do think it's it is relevant. It is worthwhile foreshadowing what we're going to learn later, because it will, as we say in our intro, add context to our discussion. Now, all of that being said, I do want to back up a little bit to your mentioning the disconnection between what we're presented with in the musical and what happened in reality because of the presence of. Adams, Madison, and Burr here. I think that this is a brilliant adaptive choice. Number one, it keeps our supporting characters more forefront in our mind. Number two, it adds more emotional and dramatic immediacy for Hamilton himself. And number three, once again, I'm going to repeat what I've said uh, before, and I guess this is related to points one and two, any time you can find an excuse to get Burr and Hamilton next to each other on stage in opposition to each other, that's going to be the smartest dramatic choice you can make. Because what we're barreling down to, what we're aiming for, uh, I apologize for the puns, what we're, what we're going for is the penultimate confrontation between those two, right? And so here's a brilliant narrative opportunity to get Burr and Hamilton on stage together again. So having these three here together, I love it. It's also good, just from a pragmatic point of view, you need to cast fewer people, you know? Right. Like, yeah. just in terms of stagecraft, it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so great. It's a great way to introduce this number, bringing old adversaries to Hamilton in a new way. And, I guess, point four, another reason I love this number so much we get another reminder of the dramatic irony of the actors that have portrayed Hamilton's friends now portraying his adversaries because of the double casting in the show. And I think it's just delicious. It's really good. And I, I really enjoyed the beginning of this song. The, each character doesn't have like in terms of vocalization and the way the musical or the way the the number is being played and the lyrics of it it's kind of like these it's like kind of like a three-person goon squads rocking up to hamilton's house to shake him down a little bit <laughs> right like that's kind of what it feels like but when you actually watch it um this song really comes to life when you're watching it it's it's really not the best uh, comparison when you compare it to the soundtrack version because you can see each character has a very different vibe going on madison is very official he just wants to like actually he's in there for the actual crimes and if there's no actual crime it seems like he's going to be fine like he's there because he's convinced hamilton's committed a crime and that bothers him jefferson is like bouncing up and down like i'm gonna get this guy for fucking anything like he doesn't care at all right he's just there to take down hamilton and burr is there 
but he almost looks almost regretful or hesitant or like once he starts getting into the situation and Hamilton starts explaining himself, he has this vibe that's like, eh, is this really what is this what we came here to do? Is this really the best play? Which is very Burr to not really know which way the wind is going to blow and to not want to commit himself to it. And the way these actors are, are staged, the way they walk around, the way they're blocked, it's very, very telling when you watch it that each of the three kind of goon squad is a very different vibe going on. I was curious as to how long it was going to take us to get into that. It turns out about 10 minutes because this is something that we both put in the notes in very different ways. And that always interests me, right? We've got a similar topic to discuss, but we're coming at it from different POVs. And yeah, I think that's a noteworthy call out for sure. I love Leslie's performance there because there's some surprise on his face. It's as if, and this is this is limited to watching the Disney Plus version of the musical or watching it live. I do not think you get the same sensation just listening to the soundtrack. But there is this feeling of Burr not knowing how deep he was getting in here. And he's surprised and remorseful. He seems regretful, right? Because I think that the importance of family is something that Burr and Hamilton can connect to each other on. I think that we learn that from the song Dear Theodosia. We're supposed to understand that they have the importance of family in common. Burr is very, very happy to defeat Hamilton politically. But when it comes to family matters, I think that Burr respects Hamilton on that level. But here, Bird realizes that he's messing with Hamilton on a family level. And I think Leslie plays that surprise very effectively. And the, it's, the it's heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, that's, yeah that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I have this in two separate pieces of the notes. Like I have the, the way the characters act and move around. And then I have the way Leslie reads the letter. The way he reads it and he like... Dear sir, I, I hope this letter finds you in good health and in a prosperous enough. Like he's not singing it. He's he like he's he is singing it, but it's very. I don't know because what what brings the moment up? Like it sinks deep when Burr's going through it, and he's all like he has this like what? Oh no! Like I don't want to be doing this kind of vibe mm -hmm. to his voice. Yeah. And then Jefferson's like yeah. what? Like it's Jefferson that makes the moment funny and comedic, so you almost forget the Burr the Burr part of it happened. You almost remember it as Burr just read the letter until Jefferson saw the fuck part and was like, woohoo! Right? But yeah, Burr here is, is it, the way Leslie Line reads the letter is 10 out of 10 incredible. Although it's, it, we expect from Leslie, but it's so critical to how you view this song, I think. And that's, it is something you really miss on the soundtrack, which sucks because this moment from Burr here, it, 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 I think it helps lend credence later to when he he's he's mad enough at Hamilton to to, to duel him that in this moment here, uh, even though they are political enemies at this point, it, he's still a, a person who wants to keep this part of it out of what they're playing at. I'm gonna push back a little bit on your comment that Jefferson's reaction makes you forget Burr's reading, and 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 attempt to recontextualize it in a slightly different way. I think that Jefferson's animus, Jefferson's energy, helps you analyze Burr's investment in Hamilton and helps you see Burr as further invested in the moment than Jefferson is. 
And then the two of them, you know, we've got a, a three-pointed Venn diagram of everybody against <laughs> Hamilton, right? The center of the Venn diagram is we are against Hamilton. But then they have their <laughs> breakouts, right? Which is Madison is what you said earlier, which I'm 100% behind. I'm going at it from a legal perspective. I'm being totally logistical and realistic here. Burr is kind of somewhere between... He, he's got parts of himself that agree with Madison. So that's like the bottom overlap. And then Jefferson is at the top. His own corner or his own section of the diagram is I'm here for spite. And so seeing that spite removed from Burr helps you focus on Burr's regret. I don't think you forget that moment from Burr, though. I think that if you're watching this show empathetically i do think you remember that later on in world was wide enough i think this is one of those moments of regret for burr that lay the foundation for his ultimate moment of i wish i hadn't done x y and z sure i agree with that i think i think i think we're we're, we're close enough in our take that it's very similar i think maybe forget's not the right word i just i just think like if you're passing through for the first or second time Right. By the time you're done sitting with Burr, right, Jefferson has just taken it to a level that's just so wildly higher than where Burr was at that you just kind of have to go along. Like he's now the conductor of the train and you're just on his train going with Jefferson. That I think it like in I think you need the time afterwards and to to sit with it and then go back and rewatch it. I think in the moment, if you're going through on a first or second pass. Right, you don't really have time to sit with the Burr's line reading because Jefferson just takes you and just flies you off to whatever he's doing. And like, it's a funny moment. You're meant to notice it and laugh, and like, you're just yeah. going with Jefferson. Yeah. That you need time to to re come back to Burr's line reading of it. And in the in the soundtrack, the line reading is not the same. It's it's similar, but it it just doesn't. You need the whole. I don't know what I'm saying. The whole vibe to to really get it. I think. And you need time for it to sit with you. All of that I agree with. I especially agree with your point that Jefferson becomes the conductor of the train going forward. And I think that that's a brilliant intentional choice like in the way this number is staged. I have to imagine that Jefferson had to get Burr and Madison to go along with him to confront Hamilton to begin with. I think that like that's that's the way this happened narratively, right? <laughs> um, Jefferson seems to be, you know, he was the he was the one that was building the gang, you know. Yeah, he's the uh, he he's the ringleader here. I think. Right. I don't and think so Madison situa- or Burr would be the ringleader. Right. And so the whole situation here is that these three have come to shake down Hamilton. They accuse him of financial speculation. If you don't know what that is, have a Google. Um, mostly just abusing his office and a variety of other things is what they're uh, accusing him of. And they, they have the check stubs from different accounts, uh, almost $1,000 paid in different amounts, which is a fun little, again, any line that brings me back to the time, like $1,000 now is like, what, whatever. Sure, like, is that even worth prosecuting? But $1,000 then would have been a shitload of money. Right. And so it gives you a sense of like, not mm-hmm. only not only could this information coming out about Hamilton be damaging, it's already financially damaging, right? Like a thousand dollars is a lot of money for Hamilton to be paying off way back in 1791, which also leads to this interesting thing where in my headcanon, like James Reynolds just stopped asking for money. 
Why? What? Why not keep extorting? Why not keep the why not keep the flow of cash coming? Why at some point just stop? Why is Hamilton not continually paying for this? I think Jim Reynolds has made an error here. I think that it's possible they found an agreeable point where they could end the situation. Maybe maybe James and Mariah patch things up. Maybe maybe what we're supposed to believe you know, maybe this is one of the things that leads us to thinking that Hamilton is a more uh, empathetic character. Maybe Hamilton is a more understandable character is that, you know, we talked about this earlier in this episode. I believe that it was you that brought it up that we're led to believe this all happened whilst Betsy was away on vacation to Phillips Lake House, right? So maybe the idea is. This only happened whilst she was away. After she came back, this was no longer possible. Mariah and James and and Alexander found a way to reconcile this without any kind of additional fiduciary compensations. Maybe that maybe all of that is tied in with itself, you know? Uh it's unbelievable. I don't believe right. it, but that that's what the story is suggesting to me as an understandable take. Right, absolutely. I just, it's just I always like to think about like why on earth did this guy stop? Yeah. Like it does, way, like it's yeah. way back. Way back in 1791. Like this is a long time ago that Hamilton stopped paying this guy. Right. You're going to go out all out of your way to rig up the first catfishing expedition in American history. And you're just going to stop it, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think there is, I think part of that is a nod to the actual history of the way this happened because the Reynolds pamphlet, the the blowout from all of this, the way this all actually happened, it was several years after the affair actually occurred. This issue as potentially damaging for Hamilton lay dormant for several years before it reared its ugly head again. And I think that this line way back in 91, I think that's a reference to this historical fact. And I think that it is included to outline how foolish Hamilton is later. Because this is old news. He could have let this lie. It could have been a non-issue, right? And I think that us examining how foolish we think Hamilton is or isn't, I think that's important to the play. I think that's one of the questions the play is intentionally asking us. Do we think that he did well or not, right? So I think that that line here supports that line of questioning later on. Right. I, I, I do want to talk about another line in this song really quick. It, just because it continues to bug me, and I, I'm going to keep bringing it up, the you best go on run back Immigrant. where you come from. Like, like eat shit and die, you three. Like, honest <laughs> to God, what the fuck are you on about? Like, this guy rushed, like, run back where you came. Like, this guy rushed a readout for your bitch asses so you could have America. Like, fuck you. Sorry. I'm, I'm, this is adult content coming out. Like, what on earth? Like, get out of here. Like, that's just such a disingenuous bad faith. Oh, I hate, I, and we've already talked about why they keep doing it and why it's important to them and why they like to to keep calling Hamilton an immigrant, but also, like, eat shit. Like, I hate it. It's dumb. Whatever. Sorry. That's all my, that's my take on it again. 
I think that's the response that the show hopes to engender. I think that's right, connected absolutely. To, it must be. Yeah. I think that's connected to the time in which the show was produced. I think that's connected to immigrants would get the job done. You know, this is a statement. This show in and of itself is a statement against the purity of nationalism. I believe that part of the point of this show is to say there is strength in nationalism when that nationalism comes from a plurality, not a purity, right? It gives me um, I, vibes of your guys' Dreamer program, the DACA program, where people are like, mm-hmm. well, just send everyone home. And it's like, well, what, where? Like, they, they, they live here. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, it gives me those types of vibes. Like, essentially, my Canadian understanding of the program is it's a program that protects people who came as illegal immigrants when they were children. Mm-hmm. So they've only ever lived in America. And so you have people like these three dickheads running around being like, we'll just send them home. And it's like, they were too when they came here. They've lived in America their whole life. They're just as American as everyone else. Like, what are you doing? And to me, it's the same type of thing. I have the same response to both of those types of people. The the Jeffersons and the anti-dreamer people. I have the same response to them. I don't think that you're far off base. And also, let's consider if Hamilton were to best go and run where he come from, he would go back to being a British citizen. Hamilton was born a British subject. And so they're saying, not only are you, not only do we not want you to be an American, we want you to go back being the subject of the person we just fought and died to defeat. And this is not bringing in too many external sources, I don't think. I think the show teaches us this. Hamilton did more to defeat the British than Madison Burr or Jefferson. Jefferson was off getting high with the French, first of all. We've got that as direct text, okay? (laughs) So, you know, Burr, he will later tell us he's a terrible shot. Burr, uh, now we don't know that yet, okay? Let me be a little bit more fair. We don't know that yet. Burr was lieutenant colonel, okay? Whereas Hamilton was colonel. That we do know. So we do know that if we're talking about what it means to be an American at this point and what it means to be a contributor to the idea of America as a capital I idea, these people inherited their ability to be an American from Hamilton, an immigrant. And as annoying it may be that it keeps coming up, As much of a nuisance as it may be, I think it is crucially vital that the show keeps reminding us of this debate. And I love that you react to it so much because I think that that means the show is functioning as intended. I think that your reaction, your anger towards these guys is indicative of the fact that this piece of art is functioning as originally intended. And I love that, especially because... I agree with you. The fact that it they helps, say this it helps stuff. If you agree with me, but yeah. Yeah. You know, like it helps, but that's me. Like I'm looking back at it objectively and subjectively. And I'm thinking, yeah, what I'm hearing this musical say to me is this is a problem we haven't solved. And I, as a person, like as a consumer of art and just as a person living my daily life, I am glad I, I 
I hate that this fight still has to be fought, but I'm glad that I feel on the right side of history because right. we are a nation of immigrants. Like the only the only proper Americans in my POV are the indigenous peoples that were here fucking first. You know, yes. and correct, correct. It's you know, like it's it's the it's the original populations that are the only proper Americans, and it's insulting to call them Americans first of all because you're saying that the land that they lived on was named after an Italian explorer anyway. So you know, like it's I like that the musical puts forward that this argument is still so ridiculous and illegitimate, and that argument hasn't changed since the period of this musical so maybe we still have some things to work on and i hope i i just my hope is that that lesson is conveyed to everybody seeing and listening to the show you know uh yeah it is it's an infuriating line and you know it it pops up in it pops in relationships between you know i i for for those listening, I'm making air quotes, true American white people who say, go back to where you come from to people with black skin, brown skin, red skin, yellow skin. And it's the people with brown and red skin that should be saying that same thing to anybody with white skin. You know, go back to the Netherlands, go back to England. You like we and I'm pointing at myself now, we are the ones that don't belong here. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, okay, I'm going to move off of this. We, we talk about it, I feel like, a whole second act. Every <laughs> set of episodes has some kind of immigration bullshit that we have to cover. We'll call it covered for this one. And it, moving That's on. That's fine, I but just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that we should feel compelled to apologize for being anti-imperialism and pro-indigenous populations. I think that's the right side of history for you and I to be on. I'm just saying. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just I'm just moving on because we have so many right. other things to talk about. We do. We have a lot. We have a lot. All right. So I want to call it Lynn Manuel Miranda specifically for nailing this. She courted me, escorted me to bed, and when she had me in a corner, that's when Reynolds mm-hmm. extorted me. Like man, like just killing it, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, but I but the whole conceit here, without talking about every line in the song, is that Hamilton is. Truly shocking, considering what he's about to do. Trying to get these guys to not tell anyone about his affair. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you spend so much effort in this song being like, if I can prove that I never broke the law, will you promise not to tell another soul what you saw? Right? Like, that hits his vibe right now in this song. Is like, hey, I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anyone, which is the worst way to keep secrets, but whatever. Right? But that's his vibe. And at the end, he asks Burr, like, are, are you going to tell people? And we'll talk about Burr's line in a second. What do you make of this Hamilton here who's trying his best to get people not to tell other people who's then going to turn around and just tell everyone himself for a reason? I also see the disconnect between his t- attitude here, trying to contain the situation, and then his attitude later, making the situation completely public. But I consider that a feature, not a bug. I think that the the comparison here between him and this number and him later, this is illustrative of how desperately Hamilton needs to control every situation he's in. He is fine releasing the information if he has 
the opcom, right? If he has the operational control, he's fine, okay? He doesn't want any of these three guys releasing the info because he not ha- can- he cannot control how the information is conveyed to the public. So many C's in one sentence, it totally tripped me up. So if he can just delay it, he can find what he thinks is the proper way to convey that information, right? I think that's what's going on here. He has to be in control. That sounds like Hamilton to me. It's just like, it always strikes me. It's like, okay, sure. Like, I guess, I guess Ham- the, this whole second act for Hamilton for me is like, yep, you do your, you do you, boo. What on earth? I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is you are doing. I don't know why you're doing it, but yep, you keep doing you, my guy. Well, let's look at it a different way. You know, let's let's find a reason for that, for for the oddity of him. You do you, pal. Yeah. So let's let's find a way to make a home for him making that decision and your uh, consternation about it. You can make the argument, I think, that number one, let's so like option A. Let's say. So option A is what I said previously, which is Hamilton is, I'm going to control the situation right now, and later, I'm going to release it when I can control the release of information. I know this. I know I'm going to release it. I'm just going to control it now. Option B is Hamilton here is saying, you can't tell anyone. I'm going to control the situation. I've got it. But then... Burr says what he says. Option B is Burr says to Hamilton, rumors only grow, and we both know what we know, and Hamilton goes, such a good line. Shit. Right? Hamilton goes, shit. Burr is correct. I have no control over the situation. I thought I did. I was wrong. I now have to regain control over the situation. And me being Hamilton... I'm going to do it the way I know how to do it, which is going to write some stuff. But we as the audience know you're about to mess this up worse than you possibly could have if you would just let it go, right? If you would just just been done, right? Option B is more narratively significant to me than option A, you know? But I think both are dependent on how you as the audience member interpret these moments. and these four songs as a unit. Yeah, I'm going to talk about my response to that in the Reynolds pamphlet, actually. I think there's a good spot in that song to kind of bring this up again. Um, I think that's most of what I wanted to get in for We Know. I mean, it's mostly a transition song that that that, that gives us what we need from our three non-Hamilton characters, from like a, a, a villain, I guess, or, pro, or antagonist point of view. You know, coming and accosting Hamilton, kind of br- starting the snowball rolling on how the Reynolds pamphlet uh, comes to be. I think the last thing that I I want to mention here is you 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 get the continuity with Hamilton and and wanting to protect his name kind of above anything else, right? Like what he's concerned about at the end is like. As you can see, <laughs> I've done nothing to provoke legal action, like concern, like he needs to not provoke legal action. But that's the B concern, because the concern he mentions before that is I have not committed treason and sullied my good name. 
right? He's not worried about the legal action as much as he's worried about sullying his good name, <laughs> which I think just it leads it leads us and sets us up well for for what's to come, and it's consistent with his character. Yeah, his good name he believes is connected to his political and legal career. It has nothing to do with being a husband and a father. And ooh, buddy, what a what a point of view to have. <laughs> Also, this guy kept all the receipts. Like, I guess it helps him not get in trouble for speculation. But also, like, was that the re like, if they have the check stubs from different accounts, I don't know. I just the whole thing. Like, don't record your affair and have it like available. To, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, don't account my, for this in your records. My interpretation of that line is that Reynolds had two separate books himself. He had his official books and then he had his private books and they somehow got access to both. And there was a difference in income between those two sets of books. And so they were able to understand that Hamilton and his payments to Reynolds were the difference, the difference between those two sets of books. So I think this is the first time, yeah, that difference in income. I think this is the first time they've had access to Hamilton's books, right? And his receipts. But yeah, the fact that he kept the receipts still mind-boggling. Still, still kind of strange. <laughs> hey, let me keep the only record of this affair ever happening. Let's just, yeah. just keep that in my desk drawer in case the three goons pop by for a chat. Like, okay, whatever. Anyways, right. um, I'm good with this song if you're good to move on to Hurricane. I'm almost good to move on. I want to, to mention something brief but delightful. Uh, and it is the use yeah. of the word unless and the way it's used here. Uh, sure. Just a quick shout out to a, another podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me, uh, who uh, uh, Lynn is a fan of. Um, my Brother, My Brother and Me is run by Justin Travis and, well, now I'm forgetting the uh, the youngest brother's name. My goodness. Um well, now I'm just so embarrassed. Uh, but the McElroys uh, are, they, they run this podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And it's an advice show in a way. But they take questions from Yahoo Answers and, oh, then, yeah, give and then give bad advice to the questions, right? And then one of the one of their recurring bits is whenever they give a particularly bad bit of advice and they know it's bad, someone might question it and say, unless, and then the others say, unless, and then they double down on how bad of an idea that would be, right? <laughs> uh, and so the, the fact that Hamilton here says, I don't have to tell you anything at all, unless... And then the people confronting him in unison say, unless, right? That happens right before Hamilton has a very bad idea, which is, all right, I'll prove that I never broke the law, but let me tell you what I actually did, and now you know all this information. It is a deeply meta, super isolated reference. Griffin is his name. His name is Griffin McElroy. The youngest <laughs> McElroy's name is Griffin and their father's name is Clint. Um, I, it's all up there somewhere. It just takes me a bit to find it. Um, but Lynn has appeared on Mabim Bam before 
And I know that he has a special love for those good, good boys uh, and their own family podcast network. And so I adore the way Lynn can have this really intense moment between Hamilton and these three adversaries and still sneak in an Easter egg because Hamilton as a musical is kind of full of them. Right. And I love the, the, the expeditious nature with which Lynn inserts this one Easter egg that I think is pretty cute. He does it much more efficiently than I've discussed it, which is ironic, but you know, I mentioned, I intentionally initially just wanted to call it out and now I'm getting tongue tied talking about it, but like, I just think it's clever. I love it. And I love the McElroy's. So shout out to them. So yeah, a that's the last thing I wanted to cover. My brother, track. my brother and me heads out there like, okay, I, 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 sure. Yep. <laughs> I'm just gonna. Yeah, no it is. That's the thing. It is. <laughs> it is a super deep cut. It really, really is. But I know that it's intentional because Lynn talks about it in the making of book. Like he does call out that if you thought this was a Mabim Bam reference, you were correct. And I was just like, that's awesome. Like, I thought I was being ridiculous. Turns out I wasn't. You know who is ridiculous, though? Okay. The dumbass that decides to write the Reynolds pamphlet. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how he gets there. You're going to hear a jingle, and then we're going to get to one of the best lit songs in Hamilton, question mark, Hurricane. Welcome back, everyone. Post-jingle for Hurricane, one of the, I'm going to call it out of all the songs that can be controversial in Hamilton, this is the song I actually have seen the most controversy, although still very little, but out of all the songs, the most controversy online about, and that is all because of Lin-Manuel's vocal performance. Now, it's not something that's a, a raging fire out there, but just via doing this podcast and having to Google Hamilton lots and watching lots of videos and stuff, for reference, so that I can do this podcast, you do see a lot of uh, critiques of, of the cast and the characters and the acting and the singing. And one of the big critiques, and my, this is also my favorite YouTube comment ever about Hamilton. <laughs> um, one of the big critiques about Lin-Manuel's vocal performance comes because of Hurricane. And one of the funniest comments on YouTube I've ever seen was somebody like defending Lin-Manuel. And then the, the comment below just said, that's no fucking excuse to sing the whole song out of key. And that like killed me when I was listening. to. Like, so I don't agree with that comment, but that was just a very funny comment. I want to equate Lin-Manuel's vocal performance in Hurricane to one uh, person who is in the sphere of pop culture influence right now, Bo Burnham. So when I saw this live with a different vocal performer for Hamilton, um, that person was unquestionably a better vocalist than Lin-Manuel Miranda. And vocally, in terms of like the technical skill of singing, it was a better performance. But I think Lin-Manuel, much like Bo Burnham, he, he, what he's good at comes from the fact that he's not going to be... He's not Freddie Mercury, right? Like That's the whole point is that Lin-Manuel's not Freddie Mercury, and Bo Burnham is the very same. No one goes to watch Bo Burnham for the, for the singing acumen. He's a, he's a good singer, Bo Burnham is, and Lin-Manuel's a good singer. But he's not Freddie Mercury, and that's okay. That is okay. 
If you're one of those people on the internet, like, I get it. Lin-Manuel's not Freddie Mercury, and that's great. And his vocal performance here is fantastic, and it's very impressive for reasons that aren't specifically for, like, whatever kind of weird kind of checklist you have for vocal performances. Like, it, I don't know. I just, I just want to bring it up because I've seen it a lot online. I am pro Lin-Manuel Miranda's performance in this song, even though many people are not. How emotionally dead inside is a person as a YouTube commenter that they get online and what they want to talk about during this number is vocal chops. What right. the hell? <laughs> you know, Anyways. I, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's entertaining to me as well that that's their response. Like I find it laughable. Um, because I don't like this is not this is not Penzance. We are not coming to this moment for your amazing vocal delivery. And right, I say absolutely. that. Yeah, I, I say that believing that Lynn does do a perfectly serviceable job here. He does fine. It's good. I don't have any argument against it. I don't have it. it the, the idea that it's entirely off key. The fuck. But the thing is, that's not what you come to this moment for anyway, right? I just, yeah, I how just dead inside are these people? Up, not because I agree with it, but it's just... It, no, it, I know. When I, it's when it's I worth discussing, it, for I sure. La yeah. I laughed out loud, and I love when YouTube comments make me laugh out loud. Because <laughs> you're just reading, and someone's just defending Lin-Manuel, and you're like, yeah, 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 I get this. It's a huge, long yeah. response. And then the guy underneath is like... Yeah, no fucking excuse to sing the whole song out of key. And I was like, <laughs> like if that if that's what you're here for, and that's what like, sure, dude, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I I always want to see that commenter do it better than Lynn. Like, if that's how you feel, I want you to attach a video of you doing it better, and then I want you to attach a video of you having the idea to do this show in the first place. But that's just my my inner animus coming out. <laughs> right. Okay. So after, now that we've covered the vocal performance, we both think it's great. Just wanted to be on the record for all those people. If you're listening to this and you don't like the vocal performance, all the power to you. Just know that we both do like the vocal performance and think it's fantastic. Um, I want to call it the lighting here right away. In the Act 1 award show, the water lighting for whichever song it is, it's not... What was it? Oh, um... Oh, when they're, all the troops are coming to the harbor. What song is that called? Stay alive. Stay alive. That won my best lighting award as the I found the best lighting. This has very similar vibes, but the way they've changed up whatever filter is going over the blue lighting to make it seem like a hurricane is very impressive. I still love it. It has similar vibes, but hey, it was the it was my award-winning lighting in Act One, and it's still top-notch in, in Act Two. Fantastic lighting to set up the hurricane here. Yeah, I have a few guesses as to how they achieve this moment, my and how it differs from uh in the harbor as mentioned in the previous song. My my guess, my belief here uh, from me looking at it is that the 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 texture on the stage is coming from above here rather than the front and the sides from earlier and so you get the idea that Hamilton can be in the middle of it and then all of this rippling texture can surround him right on the perimeter because when you're when you're lighting anything 
it's often easier to isolate people from their surroundings when you're lighting them uh, in one direction here and then you're lighting other things straight down, right? Because you can kind of carve them out of the things that are on the perimeter when you do it straight down. When you're lighting from the front or the sides, you know, a beam of light doesn't stop, right? It, it goes, yeah. you know? It doesn't just stop where you want it to. So if you're front lighting something, you can light an actor here, but then the beam of light that is lighting them is also going to hit the floor behind. Whereas if it's a top light coming straight down, you're just going to hit the deck, light that, and then it's going to dissipate. So you have these rotating gobos and this animation effect on the stage around him. And as an introduction to the song, it's brilliant. And it's it was my... It was one of my early, like, honestly took my breath away moments watching this show. And it was one of the moments that all of my industry friends told me, like, you're not going to believe Hurricane when you see it. It's the most brilliant lighting design I've ever seen, you know. And then later in the number, when things increase, when the music picks up, when the lighting picks up, they start rotating the turntable. And it makes that rotating gobo effect even more intense because now you've got rotation inside of rotation. So you've got you've got this increased momentum effect, and it's just God, it's so brilliant. The color palette too. You know, it's you have these isolated moments of the the warm contrasting side light coming in low that that picks out the pieces of scenery that highlights Lynn in a way, but also highlights the bodies moving around him. And all the properties that they're holding moving around. It is it is indeed quite breathtaking. It is truly brilliant. Absolutely. I know nothing about lighting. It's just like you just look at it and go, holy shit, that's fantastic. <laughs> right? And then my dumb brain moves on yeah. and yours talks about gobos and rotations and stuff. <laughs> but we landed at the same spot, kind of. Um, but the premise <laughs> of this song is fantastic. So you know, Hamilton is trying to figure out what to do here. He is in the eye of a hurricane. But what they do really well is kind of show via the lighting and the rotation and the momentum and, and, and throughout the song, the different people and objects that will be swirling around him, that the eye of the hurricane is actually fairly peaceful. It's a place where Hamilton can think. Being in the eye of the hurricane, in some ways, is actually the best place to be in a hurricane. And so... Hamilton gets this moment where where his life is a hurricane. Things are swirling around him. He's going to have to fight his way out of it. He's trying to figure out how to do that. But he gets to think about it in the eye of the hurricane, which which makes a lot of sense thematically, but also as a viewer, it's easier to kind of watch on the Disney Plus version that like this light isn't swirling around Hamilton's face the whole time <laughs> that he's trying to, to deliver his lines here. Um, but he starts to go over some of the terrible things that have happened to him up until this point. And it works because you, you get, you feel like you're just coming off of all of this, like, fuck Hamilton, like, what is he doing? And then you feel bad for him for a minute before you go back to feeling that way in, in Reynolds' pamphlet. Um, but when I was 17, a hurricane destroyed my town. I couldn't, or I'm, I didn't drown. I couldn't seem to die. Like, fuck, like that is so intense. I think that it's interesting how the intensity you're talking about is contrasted by the placid nature of the orchestration. But I think it also supports what you're saying about there is peace in the eye of the hurricane. That's where he is. You know, we just had the intensity 
of we know, now we come down into this quiet introspective space with Hamilton. And we get to contrast that with the emotional severity of I couldn't seem to die, you know, destroyed my entire town. And yet I remain right. Um, why do you, what do you think they're building up to here by like having him have this re- retrospective moment? You know, I think it's predictable for Hamilton to be looking ahead as to what things are, what things might happen next. But instead, he starts looking to his past. It reminds you know, I've me always... a lot. It reminds me a lot, and I put this in the notes. If we're looking ahead, because we get to take the whole musical into into account, which is nice, you know, Burr's going to have that moment later where he does a very similar thing. He's going to try and figure out, like, what happened here? Like, why am I not the president right now? Why did I not win this election? He's going to look backwards for some kind of reason that that happened. And what he's going to, the conclusion he's going to come to, pretty unfairly, in my opinion, is that the only common thread has been Hamilton's disrespect. And so this reminds me a lot of that. Hamilton is in a situation. And how he deals with this situation, I think we both think is dumb. And the fact that he's in the situation in the first place, also quite dumb. right? But he's in this situation now, and he's got to find a way out. So I think part of the retrospective is from a, from a, from a, the mechanics of a musical, you can't dunk on Hamilton too much in a row, or else we just lose interest in our main character, right? Like You can't have him kind of blundering around from a fair to... Whatever, like you need to give him a moment where you can sympathize with him again from like a narrative view so you don't lose interest in his story and you kind of still root for him. But I think for Hamilton, this makes a lot of sense. How am I going to get out of this situation? Well, look at all this bad shit that's happened to me, right? Every single time, the only, to use Burr's line, the only common thread has been I've been able to write my way out, which is the perfect way to get to the Reynolds pamphlet. Right, Whether writing that's a, a good idea or not is a separate thing, but how Hamilton kind of logics his way through in Hurricane to writing his way out makes perfect sense to me at, from his character's yeah. point of view. Yeah, I think it makes his POV understandable if imperfect, right? But I think that him being imperfect is something that we've talked about a lot, and it seems consistent with the way they've portrayed his character up to this point. You know, it's not it's not a surprising way for us to see him try to get out of this situation. It's not like up to this point, Hamilton has been a mass murderer going around with two six guns, just killing everybody in his path. No, he's always tried to save something with a pen or quill, depending on what we want to call it in each scene, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Hamilton On that also note. Had... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to follow that up with, you know, he makes this choice uh, to protect his legacy. And I do want to discuss the fact I think it's intriguing and pretty unforgivable that if I'm reading the text correctly, the only legacy he's concerned with is his political and legal legacy. He's not concerned with his legacy as a person, right? And it seems like everything he's doing is is trying to protect his legacy as a political figure. And all of this justification, all of this exploration of how he's set himself up to victory through writing things and, you know, being louder than the crack in the bell, written his own deliverance, it's all to 
it's all to set up why he throws uh, Eliza under the bus completely. I also wonder how true this is for the time. Like, I think maybe part of the reason why the Reynolds pamphlet comes across as such a terrible idea is in 2021, we actually care quite a bit about how you are as a person, as well as your mm-hmm. professional acumen, right? Like when, when, when actors, when it comes out with the actors have done shit we don't like, people are like, oh, you don't get to act anymore. Like, you don't get to be in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Which I wonder in 18, around 18, like 1797 or eight or whatever this is, Right. Um, I wonder if, you know, I don't, I don't think you go around and see a lot of tombstones that was like, you know, Jim Jones, great father. It was probably like Jim Jones, <laughs> noted, noted lawyer, right? Like, especially around this time where everything is its own precedent. You have like, you have Alexander Hamilton, you know, the creator of the Coast Guard, Alexander Hamilton, right? Junior constitutional delegate from New York, like, when you're creating this country, Alexander Hamilton's, all of his accolades are based on his professional work. So I think maybe, like, no, I don't think up until this point anyone has given a shit, right? Like, the, the legacy, when you're thinking about your legacy, it's not for you. Like, I think Hamilton's like, I'll be dead. It's how other people will think of me once I'm dead. And in this time, I think those other people don't give a shit if he's a good father or husband. They care much more about his, right, professional legacy which I think has changed since then to where we are now quite a bit. But I think I think from the time it probably tracked a little bit that, yeah, that's what he's concerned about because that's what other people will be concerned about when they look back on his life. The fact that he had an affair will be like a footnote in the... right. The, I think for when, when he thinks about it, he's like, the fact that he had an affair will be like temporarily bad, but like mostly a footnote compared to all of this other stuff if he can protect it. Yeah, I think that you are proven completely correct by the fact that Don Draper still had a great career. <laughs> you know like <laughs> Le- legacy is about what happens at the office you know i think that's the pov of these men um yeah i do agree i just thought you know it's interesting that they include that disconnect between different kinds of legacy in the the script here in the discussion of this character because it's not until later that hamilton actually doubles down on being a husband and father we had a moment in act one and then at the beginning of the adams administration (laughs) onward right at the beginning of the adams administration onward he's just concerned about how business history remembers him i I believe my quote from one of those episodes was and for a brief (laughs) moment in time hamilton cared about his wife and child and then (laughs) yeah that's what i was referencing yeah absolutely yeah There, there are so many good lines in here, too. You know, uh, but there's lots of good lines I want to talk about. I think, though, I like I like that Hamilton shows a lot of reverence for these strangers. That he he's an imperfect person, but he, he does appreciate... Like, he's capable of realizing that... What am I trying to say? So much of this song is him saying, like, I did this. I wrote my way out of hell. I wrote my way... Like, he did this for him, and he's the reason he's successful. And I like how that's also contrasted, like, with this reverence that, you know, at other points, it wasn't just him, right? The strangers passed a plate around, right? Moved to kindness by his story. Like, he's capable of mm-hmm. realizing when people are helping him, which kind of takes him from complete narcissist to just person who can understand the, which situations he's got himself out of and which situations he had help, which is a good distinction to make 
for our main character so we don't completely dislike him. And also, what a cool, cute little story that we didn't get yet. I think it is worth admiring that he acknowledges the memory of the people that brought him to where he was today. Because if it weren't for them, he never would have gotten to New York, right? But is there... Oh, God. Is there something implicit in that, oh, this is where it gets really dastardly. Okay, hang on. How do I phrase this? Is there something implicit in that that suggests he could have gotten married and been a decent or bad husband in the islands? Doesn't matter, right? Back on Nevis, back in St. Croix, doesn't matter. He could he could have gotten married, whatever. But because of everything that everyone in my life did for me, I have to honor them politically. I can't honor them by being a good husband. They enabled me to be a politician. Therefore, the only way I can protect my legacy, the only way I can honor their investment is me, in me, is politically. Is that part of why he makes that choice over honoring his marriage? Yeah, maybe. I, I, also, think, I also think it's also important to remember that the original sin was not one out of just hating Eliza. You know, I hadn't slept in a week. I was weak. I was awake. You've never seen a bastard orphan. Like, the way he handles the Reynolds pamphlet is very much protecting his professional legacy over his personal one. But I think it is also worth remembering that once, once a, like, the reason why Hamilton didn't go with his wife and Angelica wasn't so he could, like, have sex with Mariah and have an affair. Like, like as much as it was an accident, he even had the 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 brain power to to know during the whole thing that he should be saying no to this, right? So I think it's worth remembering that the original sin wasn't like Hamilton was roaming around looking for an affair because he doesn't care at all zero percent about any of this. I think his response to it is particularly bad, and and you're probably on the right track that the way he's thinking about it now that he's in this situation, right? is that, you know, I got to protect my professional legacy because of this investment that yeah. these people made in me, right? But I think the the original sin wasn't, it's very bad, but it could have been, it could have been like, e like Dr. Evil bad. And it was not comically bad. It was understandably bad. Like, I understand yeah. how he ended up in that position. I am definitely only addressing his thinking now, right? Because I never think that he was disloyal to Betsy maliciously. It wasn't that. And partly I'm benefiting from Chernow's exploration of him as a person, but also I don't think that that's the way it's presented in the musical. I think it was a mistake that he made. It was it was a fault. It was a misstep, sure. It was a it was a faux pas, but it wasn't that he wanted to harm his wife. It's. I think that he's simultaneously presented as an imperfect person in the show as he is presented as someone that wasn't trying to be malicious. But at the same time, I really love and appreciate that the show doesn't cut him a break, right? Yeah, the no, no, show... no, you don't get a break, yeah. Yeah, like you don't, just because... Just because you committed marriage manslaughter instead of murder doesn't mean we're not going to punish you. You know, right. I love that the show doesn't make that mistake. Like it really does condemn him to a certain point. 
we do get Betsy on stage with the letters, like absolutely letting him know exactly how she feels. And I love that. But like his, his mental examination here, very intriguing. And I'm glad that it is because otherwise it would be a super boring number, right? Like if it was just, if it was just, this is how I think. And I hope you agree with me. End of number. How boring would that be? Yeah, some of the lines here, very interesting to me. And I know a lot of this is done just for like rhyming purposes and whatever, but worth exploring because, mm-hmm. you know, Lin-Manuel is great at tucking in these little references and choosing his words very, very carefully. Um, I love this, like, I was louder than the crack in the bell. I wrote Eliza love letters until she fell. Like this idea that he can just woo people, like he can just show up in Eliza's life. And Eliza, like, the way it's presented to us in the song is that Eliza and Angelica are, like, smitten with this guy. Like, he's attractive, he's there, he's a soldier, right? Like, that she was already prone to really falling for him. But it almost seems like in his head, he can just rock up, and even if she wasn't, or maybe he, you know what I mean? That he can just write letters. Like, I, I do like how he's thinking about this, because we all do that as humans, is we remember things slightly dishonestly to give ourselves a little more credit than they actually happen. Like, everyone is the main character of their own story to a certain degree, and we like to try and cut ourselves a break and give ourselves that extra little bit of credit when we can squeeze it in, even if it's not entirely truthful. And I like that Hamilton's doing that here, not because I like it, but because it feels very human to me. But he's remembering the situation almost as like, and I wrote Eliza love letters until she fell, and not, hey, she was really attracted to me, and it wasn't actually that hard, and Angelica brought her right over to me. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's remembering the situation as, like, he did everything. When in reality, Angelica did a lot of the legwork there, and she was already prone to liking him anyway. I do agree there's a lot of emotional weight there. I will add to that, however, I think this might also just be priming us, the audience, for I saved all the letters you wrote me. That we're about to receive (laughs) in burn, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right, it is It is a good thing to set up the letters. That is a good point. Um, yeah. I also think, too, um, and I love this, in the face of ignorance and resistance, I wrote financial systems into existence. Like, I like how he still can't get over how other people just don't like his ideas. If it's, like, so <laughs> weird, like, right? Like, of ignorance, like, ignorance. Like, as if these people had no good ideas. And, just, like, I like, I like that for him. Yeah. That he still hung on to this a little bit. Like, he's got his way now. He's won. He's got his financial system, and he's still like those ignorant fucks. Yeah, it's not. It's not just that they disagreed with me. They disagreed with me because they were ignorant. Like they just, right, if they like, had understood, they would have totally agreed. Right. If <laughs> yeah. they had just listened yeah. to what I had to say. So I really like that line as well. Um, yeah, and, and then finally, this and is then finally Ham- Hamilton is the revolutionary equivalent of anyone that doesn't like the Last Jedi. Right. Oh like, my god, don't you... eat. Okay. I know that was a whole <laughs> thing and I and I couldn't even respond to any of those comments because I wanted to throw my phone into the ocean, but good god, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Anyway, sorry. sorry. If you if you're listening to this and don't like The Last Jedi, <laughs> I'm sorry. I really don't know. I just don't know, man. Sorry, it was you the watch? first thing that came to mind. It was just that <laughs> Hamilton is expressing the mentality here that anyone that disagrees with him can only do it because they don't know what quality or intelligence is. That's what he's doing, right? 
Yeah, do not at so, me and tell me that I shouldn't like The Last Jedi because I don't under I fully watched the movie multiple times and really <laughs> love it and think it's definitely easily the best of the three sequel movies. And it's not that I'm ignorant, it's that I've watched them and think that's the case. Anyways, sorry Star Wars fans for sorry you out of this podcast. <laughs> Spoiler alert, let's dive deep Star Wars coming to a podcast catcher near let's you. Let's dive Star Wars one viewer and 27 angry <laughs> Twitter commenters is our, is where we're heading. Anyways, um, I picked up a pen. I wrote my own deliverance. I like this little setup about how he's not really a super faithful person, right? When my prayers to God were met with indifference, I picked up a pen. Mm-hmm. I wrote my own mm-hmm. deliverance. Also, I want to know what he's praying to God for because it seems like his prayers are like mostly getting answered. Like, I don't know. Like, he seems to be doing fine. Like, I don't know. What have, what have been to this point? Has he really not... Like, what what prayers... Like, I don't know. I just don't know what prayers he would have been praying for. He's got what he's wanted most of the time. Like, I don't know. Anyways. Again, I think that this is uh, pure and simple. I think this is stagecraft. I think this is setting up... Uh, take the children to church on Sundays, make the sign of the cross at the door. I pray that never really happened before. I, I, you know, I think that this is a pivotal moment in the show, not, not to use that word romantically, but to use the word pivotal literally to use that word is to say, this is a transition point for him. And this is him reflecting on where his life has been. Right. And was he ever really a man of God? No. So this is him putting an exclamation point on that fact to set us up for things that are going to come later. Once he gets out of the hurricane. Yeah, and then heartbreakingly, oh man, I was 12 when my mother died. She was holding me. We were sick and she was holding me. I couldn't seem to die. I I really like these I couldn't seem to die lines because they just track really well with him then going to to telling Washington that he's willing to die in the war. Like this has never been almost like he's been trying to die. Like up and like the fact that he's alive right now is is weird to him because see, like there's been three moments in the musical now that he's telling us two of them, right? The hurricane that destroyed his town, this moment with his mother, and then telling Washington like he's willing to die in the war where he's been more than willing to die and in these two cases almost making it sound like he tried like in that situation like while he was going through that he would have rather just died and i i I think that it just adds so much humanity and so much depth to his character so efficiently that i've always really liked these lines even though they really bum me out also consider the fact that if it's the 1700s and your mother has a contagious disease and there's no you know there's no Moderna, there's no Pfizer, right? And so your mother has some kind of contagious disease and you would rather be in bed with her, you would rather be held by her while she dies than quarantine? You're you're committing to loving your family in that moment, right? Of course you can't seem to die. You seem, like, for some reason, in the 1700s, that would be inviting death. That would be inviting contagion, right? Yeah. And yet he doesn't. He was, you know, I there's there's some part of Hamilton to me that in my head I just hear him saying I'm burdened by glorious purpose. Like I haven't I haven't died. Like I've got to do something, you know. Right. And then after all this, he decides like, 
So there's actually a lot happening here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the actual hurricane before we get to his decision to write the um, the the Reynolds pamphlet here, because the music really really picks up. And one of the things I wrote, and this is my counter to anyone who who criticizes the vocal performance, when Lin Manuel is delivering these lines, you know, like I wrote my way out of hell, I wrote my way to revolution, I was louder than the crack in the bell. The acting here to be believable has to be perfect. This is one of the hardest periods to act, not sing, but act, because you can't be too confident and you can't be like too unconfident. You have to be the right level of a con confident. You have to be aggressive enough. Like I wrote my way out of hell. I wrote my way to revolution. You know what I mean? Like you have to be confident, like, cause you're, you're believing in yourself. Like, yes, I wrote my way. You're hyping yourself up to make the choice to write your way out of this situation. So you have to be confident, but you can't be too confident or else like in the middle of the song where you're talking about your mother dying, you're just like an angry, like weird, you know what I mean? Like you have to get the acting absolutely perfect here and he, and Lin-Manuel does. And I just want to call that out. This is such a tricky point. Like try acting Hurricane, whether you can sing or not, just put it on and try and get it right. Try and sing those lines in the right tone. And it's very, very hard. And I, I just wanted to call that out because it's very, very difficult to nail this. Yeah, that disconnect between confidence and vulnerability here is nearly impossible. And I agree with you. He just he holds it down. It's an absolute ultra clutch performance here. It's exactly what's needed. He delivers exactly what's needed and nothing more. Or less, like just, it's just perfect. Yeah. Because you can't go too far. For like sure. you, the box you have to perform within is very small for this song. And vocally, whatever. But like as an actor, the way he acts this is very, very, very incredible. Like I think it hits the nail right on the head. Um, in the actual hurricane, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, it starts with the lighting and the lighting does a lot of the work to to show us the hurricane. And now he's in the... He's in the eye of the hurricane. It's a little more calm there. You can be self-reflective in the eye of the hurricane. Um, but once the song starts picking up, we get so much added just around the balcony, around the stage. You know, now it's all kinds of shit and people are swirling everywhere in this hurricane, right? I just wrote in real quick without pausing to take a look around. We have Redcoats, Mariah Reynolds, Washington, Eliza, his desk, his letters, James Reynolds, Bullet Girl dresses an American soldier, uh, Bird and Jefferson. Like these are all things that are just like shit mixed in his brain just all roaming around and mariah reynolds front and center like on her knees like in the same position when she was um begging him not to leave right like she's just there front and center to kind of remind us that this is actually leading into something about her it's just incredible the way they get all these all these people and props to there's desks moving around the balcony or chairs or something there are props swirling around the balcony like what the fuck it's incredible and the fact that all of that is observable whilst not distracting focus from lynn is a testament to the brilliance of the staging of this moment i think that it's all really well done it's all very chaotic, very energetic. I think it's as chaotic, energetic as it needs to be in order for the, the story of sensation to be told. But you still never lose focus on Hamilton, the protagonist. And I think that that is a feather in the cap of everybody contributing to the momentum of this scene. 
Absolutely. Um, after well, that's actually happening. So that's all happening on the stage. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Hamilton decides, and I quote, he's going to overwhelm them with honesty. And oh boy, overwhelm him with. I think. Like, oh, does he? <laughs> oh boy, howdy. And, and boy, oh, oh dear does God. he? <laughs> I, man, even if you told me, even if I'd never seen this before, and you say, oh, he's about to overwhelm them with honesty, I'd be like, okay, he's going to tell them about the affair. No, 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 no. He's going to he's gonna specify which bed they fucked in. Like, Hamilton. Like, oh, my God. Like, calm down, dude. Oh, it's ridiculous. I like this line because it, 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 it tells you exactly what he's going to do. But even you don't believe he's possibly going to go as far as he does to explain the situation. So it ends up completely underselling what he does, even though being exactly what he's going to do. One of my favorite lines in the whole musical. And yeah, he sure does swing for the fences, don't he? <laughs> yeah. I, boy, I mean, we're going to get that in, in the Reynolds pamphlet, but I just want to call out this line here because it's it, like the, the next time you watch Hamilton, if you've only watched it once, this line sticks out as particularly hilarious. You're like, holy shit, he is. He is not. He is going to take overwhelm to the extreme and honesty to the further extreme. Like it's, oh boy. There's a line I want to call out, if I may, uh, and that's that's wait for it, and the fact that it's repeated here so often. There is uh, the fact that wait for it is used here, and that Burr says it and starts it, right? It's almost as if Burr is saying, he's about to fall, he's about to do it. Hey, yeah. audience, look at, look, it's about to happen, wait for it. Wait for it. He's he's about to ruin his own life. Wait for it. And it's so human, the excitement that I hear in the lyric. You know, you don't even have to watch the show. You can just listen to it to feel it. There's an eagerness to that wait for it, right? There's an implied anticipation. And it's just, you start setting up here, I think. Or, well, it's been set up since, you know, song one. But we double down once again on the eventual confrontation between Burr and Hamilton. Burr just like, wait for it. Wait for it. He's about to do yeah. it. He's, a, he's about to torpedo his own life. Wait for it. So good. You, you also have um, a sneaky history has its eyes on you. I, I think it's only in there yeah. once. I, the, the wait for it happens a couple of times, um, but a very sneaky history has its eyes on you. Um, really clutch that Mariah also sings that line. I think that's interesting that Mariah, in his head, in his like headscape of a hurricane here, Mariah is also singing like history has its eyes on you and which really I mean it's a it's a it's a deep cut if you've noticed it but also then she what you will notice is that it's Mariah that gives him the quill and oh my god like what a moment what a moment that it's Mariah that gives him the quill to write the Reynolds pamphlet like such a good choice and you wrote about the red dress like completely unignorable you cannot miss it. Mm -hmm. It is not ambiguous like Bullet Girl sometimes is. Like, this is, like, front and center. You can't miss her rotating around Hamilton. And then when she gets to the back, handing him the quill, like, you cannot miss that that right. path around the stage from, from Mariah here. Yeah, I think it's a really good costuming choice. And I think that it leads up well visually. It lets you track her, right? It leads up well visually to the to the moment where she gives him the quill because... If she hadn't entered his life, he wouldn't have anything to write about now. So it makes sense that she hands him the quill. 
And I think keeping her in that dress here is just a smart decision because you can't look away. Um, and I love that she's included in the group that gets to sing History Has Its Eyes on You. It's a little bit cheeky because it only occurs once, but <clears throat> it's brilliant. Everybody that says that to Hamilton, Washington, because, of course, if anybody's saying history has its eyes on you, please let it be Washington. Eliza and Angelica and Mariah, because I brought you here in the first place. I'm sorry. It's my fault. But like, here we are, you know, like, it's right. just, oh, it's so good. So good. <laughs> Very good. And then we get into the Reynolds pamphlet. Is there anything else you want to discuss for this one? I mean, I'm sure we've missed a bunch of things that people are going to want us to talk about. That's what that's what email is for. <laughs> email us. <laughs> I think I'm good. I think well, I get almost everything. Yeah, I mean, my my random note was, can we talk about Reynolds giving him the pan and her red dress sticking out so you can't miss it? And we did that. So I am, you know, I am good. Yeah, no, we just a quick review through my notes and we covered all of them. So I say let's jingle break and move right along. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back with the Reynolds pamphlet momentarily. The Reynolds pamphlet hits us and is a bop. It's a tune, which is great coming off of hurricane. We know isn't really a tune more than it almost is like a murder mystery kind of vibe. And it's more of a shakedown, but the Reynolds pamphlet is a tune and it's accompanied with the works, you know, characters dancing around on stage, people like pushing pamphlets around, like they're stacks of a hundred dollar bills. Like this is an incredible bop to kind of lead us in to Hamilton's decision poor or otherwise, uh, depending on how you view this choice, uh, Hamilton's decision to publish his affair and a bunch of unnecessary details about it in uh, this pamphlet, which in the show is one pamphlet, like a one pamphlet thing that you can hand out to people. IRL, it's like 47 pages or something ridiculously long. It sounds like Hamilton. Um, But I put in my notes, just so you all know where I'm at, my top note is, I'm going to call this song Hamilton's really dumb, no good fuck up, even though he kind of deserves it. But still, what the fuck, dude, this makes no sense. And you're meant to be a pretty smart, I wrote a financial systems into existence kind of guy. I mean, this is just fucking dumb. Like, can we just, I don't know how much, like, it's just the dumbest. Like, the alternative to this, in the worst case scenario, the alternative to this is that Burr, who already looked rather regretful during this situation is that you and Burr end up going toe-to-toe again, which may or may not be in the cards, right? But Hamilton says, how do I know you won't use this against me the next time we go toe-to-toe? And, like, the worst thing that happens is Burr brings this up with, with far less unnecessary detail and with all of the skepticism that accompanies it because, like we've mentioned earlier, Hamilton has a sterling reputation. People like this guy. Right now, people also like Burr. Burr has a way better reputation than if James Reynolds was to say this. But the alternative is so like it's 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 literally that he cares so much about his professional legacy that him telling everyone about it in excruciating detail is better than Burr maybe through the rumor mill telling people some of it that people may or may not believe because people like Hamilton. Like that is the choice here, and it's to me ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, I think Hamilton wins this fight if he never gets involved in it. 
I think he loses it because he gets involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and also, I I think part of this, too, is I think maybe he over... Like, I think when it comes to voting for people, whether he'll ever be president or something, maybe an affair is enough. Maybe a supposed affair, like a rumor mill affair that may or may not have happened is enough to convince enough people not to vote for you, especially in this case where it's like only white men with land who can vote, right? Like maybe it's enough people, right? But but the rest of your professional reputation remains perfectly intact because like we mentioned, I don't think anyone gives a fuck if you had enough. Like, I think people care about Hamilton as like the junior delegate that helped with the constitution and those types of things. I don't think like a proposed affair or whatever is going to damage his entire reputation for everything ever. I think it maybe only limits his chance of ever winning an elected office which he may or may not be trying to do anyway i don't know i just the whole thing is dumb whatever it's dumb Hamilton's dumb. let me be super cynical about that for a moment about this point in time and about the whole affair thing and about it changing his prospects for becoming president my super cynical take is not that he had an affair it's that he got caught that's it absolutely yes yes, 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 yes. yeah yeah like hate to be that guy but like there's there's a bunch of people that would still vote for him that would vote for burr i mean burr and theodosia you know uh it's the fact that hamilton got caught and that he caught himself and published it like well now it's public knowledge that you had an affair i can't vote for you i'm sorry yeah that's what i'm saying i feel i don't know i'm not even sure the rumor is enough because everyone likes this guy not everyone but like Mm -hmm. his reputation is high Right. And so, like, I just don't. I don't. Anyways, so he makes the choice. I think it's a dumb choice, but he makes the choice that he's going to publish this paper. And oh boy, howdy, where do we even start here? I'm going to start with Philip standing center stage and reading this. Right. Philip, who in one song, or yeah, I think it's next song, is going to wonder why people talk shit about his dad. what do you mean philip you are standing here center stage reading this pamphlet about how your dad is saying in his own words what a fucking shithead he is and then you're gonna die over it in the next song like i man that's oof oof for philip hamilton maybe not the brightest bulb in the shed or brightest bulb in the brightest tool sharpest tool in the shed whatever the saying is that one. What? Sh- pick a ball, a tool, or something. Sharpest tool in the bulb box. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think the line later is your dad's a scoundrel, and so it seems, so are you. Uh, and now here we have your dad writing how he is a scoundrel. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I also like um, this, gives me Bridgerton vibes with the Lady Whistledown pamphlets when they come out. Um, for those of you who haven't watched Bridgerton, watch it, then listen to my deep dive on it. I'm definitely the most qualified person. Anyways, um, every time the Lady Whistledown <laughs> pamphlets come out, like everyone's like, ooh, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Whoa, what's Lady Whistledown got to say? It reminds me of this, like, have you read this? Like, part of it's like, holy shit, Hamilton took himself out. Like, have you read this? Like, have you read what Hamilton did to himself? But also, like, have you read this? Like, how... Have you read this? Like, it is so unbelievable that this exists. Like, they're looking at all five Exodia Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Or, like, they're looking at a solar eclipse. Like, it's so rare. for the, Like, it, it's so, like, not probable that this would ever happen. 
that they're like, have you seen, like, as almost if it's going to disappear. Like, they can't believe what they've run into here. And as if this is like a dream and like the pamphlet's just going to disappear the next day. I really like this. Have you read this line? I think one line says so much about the how people view this pamphlet. I think it's an important line. I think it is crucial to remember that part of Hamilton's downfall is that he was the first sex scandal ever. You know, he was he was the first uh Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, he was the first uh Rob Lowe, you know. He was he was the first, right? He was our nation's first sex scandal. And even in a society that was in some respects uh more sexually liberal than our contemporary society uh prior to the advent of TikTok uh like they they were you know they were pretty understanding sexually but this rocked the the new world i mean this was a this was a big deal yeah it, so yeah it, like it, it seems like an incredibly big deal and then my it the song is this is a true bop this song slaps it's so good because then the next thing we get is explaining the situation because i think as the viewer you're also meant to believe like is he actually publishing his own affair, right? Like, I think as the viewer, you're also meant to be like, okay, what is he doing? Um, and then um, Burr, Jefferson, and Madison all go, Alexander Hamilton had a torrid affair, and he wrote it down right there. And then as if it's like the halftime at the Super Bowl, highlights, like, oh my, what a good line. Like, because they're mm -hmm. trying to condense 47 pages into just something they can put in a musical, the highlights line is so funny. But also... The highlights don't exist yet. Highlights aren't a thing. I like this line. I love it so much because highlights is just a nod to the 2021 audience. Like, we got you. We understand who's watching this. And I love those lines because, like, highlights are not a thing at this time. Not even close to a thing. They're so far away from being a thing. I adore your uh, love for all of the anachronisms in the show because every time they come up, you're like, oh, it's another one. Uh, I'm so happy. Like, it's just... Oh, it's, it's I wonder, so what, what would they have been called? Like if someone was trying to summarize a book, I wonder what they would have been called, but not highlights. Highlights is a very specific like TV film kind of term mm -hmm. that's come around recently. They, they, I'm not saying that in this time they didn't like summarize things. I'm just saying they weren't called highlights before anyone tweets me. They would have been called something else. I, I honestly don't, I don't think they did summarize anything. I mean, all of the pamphlets, all of the letters, all of the news articles, everything was written long form. I mean, eat, like letters back and forth were multiple pages. I don't think they did summarize anything. Because the vocabulary, the way people discuss things was just so much more verbose. I don't right. know if they did. Yeah, I don't, Maybe, I don't know either. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, we we have maybe we're lucky enough to have a linguistic scholar follow us. I was just going to say, hey, 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 any and, historians yeah. out there, your specialty <laughs> is uh, writing in the, because in the 18th century, then hit us up and let us know. All of the correspondence that I've seen from this period, all of the original documents that I've seen have all been long form. They've been very long winded. They've been very verbose. So I don't know if the... You know, like if you read a medical journal these days or if you read a scientific journal, at the top you have the abstract that summarizes what happens. And then you have 
under the uh, like under the the description of what the paper is right that abstract that is a bit of a summary and then you are sometimes have a longer voiced summary but still a summary then you have the actual article i don't think that any of that existed then it was just all going to be long-winded it was all going to be long form doubling down on my take the highlights is an awesome term to throw in here because they do not exist anyways um (laughs) hamilton like okay this guy is fucking nuts not only does he describe his affair he describes the original crime he was not even charged with just like accused of by three dudes like whatever anyways so hamilton is obviously doing this because the point here is to protect his legacy if he just comes out and says he had an affair then that doesn't do anything he has to say what people think people think that i'm an idiot that i would dare commit treason and sully my good name when in reality all i did was have this affair so this part is important because it gives context to the affair a bit like he's trying to protect his legacy so people need to know that he's being accused of a financial crime so he can tell them but i didn't do that crime protecting his legacy i did this instead he could have just stopped at i didn't do that crime and not done the rest of it but that's okay because he's here and the charge against him is a connection with one james reynolds for purposes of improper speculation my my real crime is an amorous connection with his wife stop Stop, 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 stop. But for a considerable time, with his knowing consent, I guess people need to know that information. Like, dude, just say, I didn't do the financial crime thing. I had an affair. I'm sorry. Signed, Alexander Hamilton. Not, we don't need to know who, we don't need to know if he knew or they knew or where, which bed it was in or any of this stuff. Like, dude. He, he, he believes that you have to know. This is the same <laughs> Hamilton. He this is this is how he thinks. The Hamilton that writes the Reynolds pamphlet in such detail is the same Hamilton that wrote the other 51. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I this, think it must this, be. I, this is the I dark think, side of Hamilton writing like he's running out of time. I think the logic the rational uh, i like when we play this game like let's make a reason for this to happen even though i don't think there is a good one i think the rationale for this must be i need to describe this situation that really happened in so much detail that people can't believe i've made it up right because if people believe that this is true that i did have this affair then they'll also believe i didn't commit the crime right that's that's my my rationalization of this right like if i say in enough detail what i really did and they believe me, then they also will subsequently believe that I didn't commit the crime now that they think I'm an honest guy. Oh, for sure. I don't think that what you're saying is at odds with what I'm saying. It's that this is how, because of what you just said, that's how the Hamilton that always writes like he's running out of time manifests in this moment. It's like, I'm going to write way more than I should just to make sure that I have not sullied my own good name. Yeah, and because this song is an absolute bop, they don't they give us all the characters also realizing like what is this guy doing cuz you have <laughs> I had frequent meetings with her, most of them in my own house. Like, dude, stop, please stop. No, no, no. Whatever. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Uh I had frequent meetings with her, most of them in my own house and then <laughs> and then all the other characters his like own at, house? A, at his own house, at his own house. Damn. Like they don't even believe that he's writing this shit down. It's awesome. It's so good. Everything about the other characters 
and the way they move around the stage and the way they're like damn and like all of it is so good i love it all yeah i do too and also functionally it's worth pointing out how well all of that all of that movement and their vocalization it supports how much of a victory this is for them and how much of a loss it is for hamilton how much he has defeated his own self right because they're yeah. celebrating the fact that they've won. I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I decided to bring it up now. These three lads, Jefferson, Madison, and Burr, have never been more lucky in their life. Like, they've rolled double sixes for the <laughs> only time they're ever going to roll. They rocked up to Hamilton's house thinking they were going to kind of catch him in this maybe speculation crime that was always going to be slightly difficult to prove. And, like, that was a whole legal process that was going to have to happen. Like, that's a lot of work and effort. Right. You you know what I mean? And they're mostly just there to like they're they're there to do this financial crime stuff. And instead, what they get is Hamilton immediately leaving that situation and self-sabotaging himself for something completely unrelated. And they had no idea about like this is the best case scenario for them because they had to do no work. Hamilton took himself down. They didn't have to do all these legal proceedings. They didn't have to prove anything. They didn't have to spread rumors through the rumor mill. They just had to like watch this guy completely implode, which is the luckiest they've ever been. Yeah, they put in minimal effort and got maximum impact out of it. Like right. in they, terms they, of ROI, this is the best situation possible. They bought Bitcoin at 50 cents and sold it for $43,000 or whatever. Like they killed it. <laughs> they bought Netflix stock early. Right, absolutely. Hey, by the way, I bought Netflix stock when it was $50. Now it's worth $500. Like cha-ching. Bradley the investor on the podcast. Anyways. Um, <laughs> um then once, anyway. once, once they detail all of the you know, also very clever way to do some exposition. They have to read this letter out loud, and that could be very boring. And so far the way they've read letters out loud is actually quite fun. You have the farmer refuted, which is a very fun way of kind of reading that declaration out loud from Samuel Seabury. This is a very fun way of reading this letter out loud so that it's not boring and just weird exposition. But the main takeaway from this is that he's never going to be president now. And the way they bop around the stage and jump on the desks to like whatever they're doing with the pamphlets, like their $100 bills, like that's all hilarious. But the main takeaway for them as characters is like, we got him. He's never going to be president mm -hmm. now. He's not going to be able to damage the country anymore. He's not going to be able to do any more banking shit. Like, he is out of the picture, right? And that leads us to the question, just, just for the sake of the argument here, was that ever Hamilton's goal? He seems more like the kind of guy that just wants to be influential, but not at the top, right? Like, I, I think, I don't, I'm not sure I get from this musical that Hamilton was gunning to be president. Like, would he have run for election against someone like burr or jefferson or madison probably would he have ended up and as the president maybe but i don't know if his overarching goal from day one of george washington stepping down has been like now i need to be the president like i think he's someone who's perfectly fine being in a huge position of power but without actually having to wear the 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 badge and the crown and the and all of the the fixings you know or whatever mm -hmm. the whatever fixings of power each position has like, I just don't know that I get from this musical that Hamilton was gunning to be the president. Like, that was his only ambition left. Yeah, I don't think I get that feeling either. Like, I think it would have naturally don't... happened. I understand how they think he's going to end up being the president. And I think a, yeah. a rational, a rational 
turn of events had the Reynolds pamphlet not happened is Hamilton may have ended up being the president. I just don't yeah. think his overarching goal is that. That's maybe how he gets to his other goals, but I don't think that his goal from when George Washington steps down until now is like, I need to be the president. That's where I'm heading. I don't either. You know, I th- I think that the show, the show does a very good job of displaying to us his need for control and power. But the show tempers that by communicating to us that the reason he wants to be in power, the reason he wants control is because of his conviction that he's the one that's right, not because of his need to be in uh, in absolute control. Does he believe in the power of a strong executive? Yes. Is he willing to defend that POV? Absolutely. Do we have reason to believe that he must be president before he dies? No. So Yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I'm and I'm with you there. I meet you there. We are we are simpatico. But I but I don't think that that detracts from the victory of his enemies here. I think that they're so satisfied. Like we have finally We've solved the problem of Hamilton as a host unto himself. As long as he has a pen, he's a threat. They've solved that problem. So they believe that if he no longer has any presidential aspirations here, he's defeated. Now, this will prove true for Jefferson, but false for Burr, right? Um, But yeah, I think that there's... I think there's nobility in the fact that Hamilton isn't presented in the show as wanting to eventually be president. Like that's something that he was hungry for. And I appreciate that. I think that he was the Hamilton we get in the show. He wanted to be the kingmaker. He wanted to be the supportive role. He wanted to be. He wanted to be assistant to the regional manager. Yes. And I think I get that. if if Hamilton was ever promoted to assistant regional manager, he would have been uncomfortable. That's right. the version of Hamilton I think is presented in the show. You know? Right. I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's still a victory. I just don't think that that's where Hamilton was definitely heading. I, it's worth taking off the board anyway, just in case. Right. Like, it's definitely a victory. Yeah. I just I just don't think that's like where. I thought Hamilton would have gone. But maybe. <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm I'm struggling to articulate how the equation balances out on each side of it, right? So I think that um cuz it's I don't know the the power imbalance that comes out of this or the pal- the power rebalance that comes out of this. It's difficult conceptually, but I think that um I'm going to attempt to put it into just purely plain speech here. I think that this is more of a defeat for Hamilton at his own hands than it is a victory for Jefferson, Madison, and Burr. I think that there's no, there's no way in which they win that is at all equivalent to the blow that he deals to himself just because he did it. Like there's no, there's no simple trade-off. It's not like a seesaw, like Hamilton loses this much 
so his enemies win this much. I think that he loses much more than his enemies win, if that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. I don't know if it does, but that's where I'm at. It's kind of like watching a sports game. And people always hate this analysis. And I love this analysis where, where people will watch a sports game and go, oh, like, so team A is way better than team B, right? But team B wins the game. A lot of the analysis will sometimes be like, well, team B didn't really win. Team A lost. Right. And people will will always look at that analysis and go, well, how is that true? Like, surely Team B won. But to me, it's 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 about like the effort or like the result compared to the expectation. If you expect Team A to be way better than Team B. Right. And Team B to be way worse than Team A. Right. And you have a game where Team A plays extraordinarily well and Team B plays like way above and wins than team B won, Mm -hmm. right? But if you have a game where team B wins and it's mostly because team A played like shit and not up to the level we know team A can play at, the team A lost. Team Team B wins, but like team A lost. And I like that analysis here where it's not really that Bird, Jefferson, and Madison win. They kind of do, but mostly Hamilton loses, which ends up being a victory for them, but not so much that they did all this work and won. That is a great way to put it. And I think that that kind of analysis is reinforced by the text because they say, have you ever seen somebody ruin their own life? They acknowledge that they didn't beat him. He ruined his own life. Yeah, I like that analysis for sports a lot because I think it's a fair analysis. A lot of people don't, which is fine. But Mm -hmm. I think you can take that analysis here too. And I think it... Hamilton loses. They don't win. They end up winning, but it's because Hamilton loses. Right. It was Hamilton's game to lose. And that's 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 part of what I... Yeah. Yeah, it was Hamilton's game to lose. And that's what I was trying to say earlier by saying I think he would have won if he hadn't gotten involved at all. If he had kept his mouth shut and... Oh, God. this This is a bit of a metaphor. If he had kept his quill in the ink pot... Uh, he would have been fine, right? Right. But because he had to get his quill wet, oh God, I'm, I'll see myself out. Um, he ended up destroying himself, you know. Yeah, and then heart. This is heart. This is the best part of this song from like a pure musical point of view with all the characters. Angelica arrives, and I, you and I both put this in our notes. You have a very like theater way of looking at this. I just put is hey let's use the fucking desk prop as a door a normal theater thing <laughs> which is my analysis of that situation because you put like oh how cool is it that they created the door for her and i'm just like <laughs> fuck, like, like is that a normal thing to be like hey we have this desk let's make it a door so is it a is it a normal thing that a desk becomes a door is that automatically do- normal maybe not is it is it normal that in a show like Hamilton where things have to do double duty, we're trying to move quickly and we want to make an entrance for Angelica quickly? Is that normal for Hamilton? Absolutely. This is connected to the vocabulary of how Hamilton uses its props. It is efficient. It's lean. Uh, like the way Hamilton deals with its props throughout the entire show. We're not going to get a door prop. We're just going to move this and move it around. Remember, we're still coming out of the visual vocabulary and the momentum of Hurricane. Everything is moving around. Everything is flying around. The way this looks, this whole song, 
the way Reynolds' pamphlet looks and moves, still connected to Hurricane. It's all circular. It's all got a rhythm to it. Everything is moving. And so we got to keep that momentum going before we get into the stasis of burn. And so it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It works. It plays. It's so good. Angelica arrives through her desk door. And this is wild for a few things. The the first thing is, I I just want to point out this headcanon. I want everyone to think about this just because it's a fun headcanon experiment. Uh, Angelica coming all the way from London is a a weeks-long journey. This is not like a flight over. It doesn't take eight hours. So Angelica has had her little compartment on the boat for weeks. And I wrote a little (laughs) something. (laughs) This is not analysis. But I want everyone to try and come up how these weeks in this compartment because presumably what happens angelica is in london she gets the letters about what how she reads the reynolds pamphlet she doesn't get the letters hamilton just fucking published the pamphlet whatever so she gets a copy of the reynolds pamphlet and she reads the whole thing and then has to like like get her affairs in order and book passage and go on a carriage from wherever she lives to the like it's a process <laughs> sit on a boat for weeks and so i wrote a little something that may have uh, accompanied her weeks-long journey of her like stewing in her compartment because um, she still has to be mad by the time she arrives, right? Like She still has to be very angry weeks later. And so I wrote, I imagine this week's long journey as just being Angelica in her little compartment on the boat being like, fuck this guy, fuck this guy, that's my sister, but wait, I knew this would happen. No, that doesn't matter. Fuck this guy, Hamilton, dot, dot, dot. What a dickhead. I'm going to shove my umbrella down his throat. Wait, but I love him. I don't think I can murder him. Fuck this guy. Poor Eliza. Why did he have to be an Icarus? And why is the sun so hot? And who gave him those goddamn wax wings? And that's how I imagine the weeks-long trip in Angelica's compartment went like. Really does uh, support how angry she is when she finally arrives on stage. Like, like, you know how... You know how much work you have to do to stay angry after weeks? Most people calm down a little bit after weeks. No matter how traumatic something is, most people don't keep their anger level at 100 for weeks, but Angelica does and what what's really great about this is when angelica arrives hamilton just instinctively assumes she's there to help him because why wouldn't he assume that it's not there's no room in his brain for him to think that she's going to actually be there to give him shit and side with her like he has not mentioned eliza once since this has happened that's not how he's thinking about this so i really like it from a character level that hamilton just instinctively because of his relationship with angelica kind of forgets that she's also eliza's sister and that she may not be there for him and i really like that for the character and then obviously it's great for angelica to side with her sister here obviously yeah i really I, I i was entertained this morning by how thematically similar our notes were but coming at it from completely different perspectives you know because you know, you're you're addressing the internal journey of Angelica, and I'm appreciating how that internal journey is expressed outwardly. And it's right. just, uh, you know, two different perspectives always delights me. Um, she, I, I really love the parallelism that you discuss here. Uh, I will choose her happiness over mine every time, just like she handed Hamilton over to Eliza at the ball. Like, we get... It, like bringing that back up again just doubles down on the heartbreak for me. 
because he just, if anybody is going to be in my corner, handing me a sweat rag and a water bottle, it's going to be Angelica. And I'm not here for you. You know, oh, it's, it's just, it's heart wrenching. It's so good. And her performance, man, can we get, can we get a shout out for Goldsberry? She nails it. Absolutely, Absolutely nails, nails it. it. And Hamilton deserves this. This is not us saying that Angelica should side with Hamilton here. I don't think like this, like he fully deserves Angelica to come and read him the riot act and tell him to fuck off. Like that's the correct sisterly thing to do. Um, but I, I like all the callbacks here. You know, callbacks are important. It, it, it's Hamilton's way of doing things is to bring things up and mix and mash them together and have them swirling mm. around in hurricanes and whatnot and getting the I know my sister like I know my own mind. And what I like about that is actually for new viewers of Hamilton who are watching it for the first time or just listening on the soundtrack. That is such a, like, if you're just listening to the first time, you don't remember any of the lyrics from Satisfied, really. You remember, like, the idea of it, but you're not remembering mm -hmm. all the words, like, I might or you might now that we've listened to it 150 times and we're doing this podcast. But the way in Satisfied that that's sung, like, I know my sister, like, number three, like, it's such a departure from the rest of Satisfied that it sticks out. So when you return to it here, no matter how new you are, to Hamilton, you were like, oh, fuck, she said that. Like, I remember her doing that earlier. You don't have, like, history has its eyes on you, like, kind of maybe swirling in the hurricane, like, you know, whatever. It just kind of gets lost on a new viewer, possibly. But this is a callback that you cannot miss. And I appreciate that because you can't, I don't think you can afford to have this moment miss. I think you have to have this hit. And you picking such an iconic moment from satisfy that stands so far out from everything else in that song i think is a really good choice and it thematically makes the most sense oh for sure and even if you don't realize in the moment if the front of your brain doesn't realize that it's a lyric you've heard before the musical theme coming back you'll at least intuit emotionally evocatively right you will understand that you're revisiting mental space that you've explored before and you'll understand that, oh, I've been through this mental and emotional space before, but now things are different. And so these musical callbacks, even when they don't stimulate the front of your brain, they get you in the subconscious and they still have a huge amount of impact. Yeah, Angelica also says, put what we had aside. And then I wrote in my notes, can we get some clarity on what this is? <laughs> like, what is it that you have that he's putting aside? I understand what you're trying to say. Like, put what we had aside. I'm standing at her side, all that. But, like, what is he, like, like as far as I can tell, you guys are just, like, pseudo-romantic pen pals, right? It's kind of like the, the ye old way of sexting, kind of. Like, they're mm -hmm. just, like, they're just, like, they're, like, getting to the point of sexting with it before anyone will classify it as sexting. Right, like that, like to me, that's where they're like, okay, like I get, like, <coughs> like I get, there's like, there must be like just a confidence. Like, I assume these letters have been going for decades at this point. Like, I assume there's a certain kind of like camaraderie and friendship and their confidants and like almost like they're each other's muse. Like, that must be what it is. But I, I just wish we had a little more clarity on exactly what this was. I think what they had is entirely up to you as an audience member. You can you can come along with me and fully indulge that there is some really primal amorous attraction going on here, you know, and that that's present may not have ever been acted on, but present. Right. But then there's also in the show, we have uh, your favorite older sister all the way across the sea, 
you know, don't stop till you agree. Jellica, you know, uh, you have that right from take a break. So they at least had something. The nature of their relationship, how you choose to define it, I would argue it doesn't actually matter how intimate you think they were. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to the story here is that she's saying, whatever we had, it's done. Whatever you thought our relationship was, over. I'm here for my sister. I'm not here for you. If you think that you were not going to have any personal consequences, forget about it. Like, you... If you thought that I was going to be your last friend in the world, you were even wrong about that. I'm here for my sister. It will put her happiness over mine every time. I'm not here for you. And I also like the subtle implication. So I, you and I are going to have our biggest disagreement in the next song about Angelica's culpability for this whole thing. Because we've already had this disagreement <laughs> when I was drunk in Discord, and I like rereading it. Because I don't think you were as drunk as I was. But so we're listeners, we're about to get into a huge disagreement about Angelica and the next song is my guess. But this also implies like I will put her happiness over mine every time. It also implies like she kind of still wants to be there for Hamilton. <laughs> like like if it implies that it, her choosing to go to Eliza is putting her happiness over her own. Then she would prefer to not help, which is just weird. I don't know. I, just, I have thoughts about Angelica here that aren't that aren't like they're not perfectly oh what a great older sister she's coming back to help out good for angelica like my thoughts are 95 percent that but there's a five percent of me that i'm like i'm a little more critical here like if the, if the assumption is she's putting an eliza's happiness over her own to defend her sister that kind of implies that at least part of her own self like just as an individual she would rather if she at all could side with hamilton i read it differently I read it as I warned you. I read it as I told you before in act one. I told you and the audience. I told you and the audience. I will choose her over anything else any time. And I choose her happiness over mine fits the meter better. You know, I don't think choosing to ally with Hamilton and forsake her sister would make her happy. I think it's once again retreading those mental paths, reminding us that they had a relationship that's now been forsaken. Interesting. I just don't, I just, I can't not get that 5% out of me that, like, and we'll talk about, I, I'm not going to say we'll talk about Angelica's culpability because I think I'm the only person who thinks she has any at all. But I mean, uh, we're, the, let's, let's get to it. But like, I also don't think that I, I think that there is a nebulous quality to Angelica and Hamilton in the musical that is on purpose. It's very intentional. I don't think that reconciling that nebulous quality is necessary to analyzing this musical. I think that it's only necessary to acknowledge that that it exists. If you acknowledge that there is ambiguity to their relationship that is confusing you are viewing the musical in the proper way. That That's how I feel, right? I think that each audience member is going to have their own opinion about their relationship. I think it is ambiguous on purpose. Perfect. So I am, I am, I am down to talk about potential culpability. I, 
I do not promise that we're going to come to any kind of agreement about any of it. And But also, I preface that by saying I don't think it's necessary. I think that any difference of opinion about Eliza, Angelica, and Hamilton as three characters coming at loggerheads with each other, I think that any disagreement there is an intentional payoff from experiencing this story. Right. Sure. All right. Before we get into my thoughts on Angelica's <laughs> culpability, which come in Burn, actually, a song that Angelica's not in, which is interesting. There's one line in Burn that really fucking irks me every time. And so we'll get to that. Is there anything else you want to discuss here? I also like your line, the hand of pamphlet to lack. So good. He's in a lot. Like he's there's a lot of like little waves that he does. Like you can yeah. if you watch the Disney Plus version, he's popping up from below the stage all the time and he's like he's slightly above his little square thing there like you see him he's he's there i think it's fun yeah so i'll i'll touch on that real quick uh uh lack is the uh the nickname for the music director uh and conductor in the orchestra pit downstage uh of the apron uh lackmore i believe is the full last name and in the live version of the show they hand one of the Reynolds pamphlets to him as he reaches up from the the orchestra pit and you know, on a meta level, it's them reminding us that this is a musical about music, that the musicians play a role in this show, and that the show breaks the fourth wall uh, with the audience often. Um, speaking of uh, meta things, also want to point out here, part of the discussion of this number in the the making of book of the musical uh, Hamilton the Revolution often uh, colloquially referred to as the Hamiltome uh, and Lynn uh, and uh, the everybody contributing to uh, the Reynolds pamphlet section of the book uh, write it's their opinion that Hamilton never used words more devastatingly than when he used them against himself and I just think that that's such a such a poignant and accurate way to describe some of the things we've discussed before, which is once again, it was Hamilton's game to lose. Right. And he, uh, he totally, you know, there, there's a line in the show about, uh, Adams shitting the bed. Uh, but Hamilton yeah. did as well. You know, he, he yes. really does here. Yeah. Absolutely. I, would, I think he shits the bed and then his own pants and then he like shits in the middle of the sidewalk for everyone to see. Like I think like, I think I think it's a little worse than Adams for sure. But. Uh I yeah, I agree. I oh God, I just have Sorry, the most the most terrible mental crap? image. Was- I was, oh, let's, you let's went blue on me. Contains adult content. I'm sorry. Yeah, we did. We did preface it with that. I, I will. The last thing I will, uh, I, I will want to bring up here, and it's a bit of a circle back, but it's about Angelica's entrance and about their disconnect. And I'm just, I guess, I'm just priming the pump for our feud that is coming in the next right. segment. Not only. I, it's not only the lifting the table and functioning as a door for her entrance that I love so, so much, but it's also the way that entire moment is staged. When you watch the recording of the musical or see it live, Hamilton and Angelica are just face-to-face so close to each other, and she is given license to just unload on him. It's just both barrels right into his face, right? 
and they have it's rare in the show that they are so physically close and they are ideologically and emotionally so far apart. This is where she is severing all connected ties with him. And she puts herself as close to him as possible to deliver this news. I'm done with you. I'm with my sister. I'm not with you. Whatever you thought we had, forget about it. Done. It begins with him kissing her hand, trying to be intimate with her, trying to be close to her. And she just shuts him down. It's like, you know what? I'm going to make it as painful as I can telling you that we're so far apart by getting as close to you as possible. And I, I think just in terms of blocking, it's brilliant. It is genius. So yeah, yeah I think that's it's it. Fantastic. Yep. Cool. That's my, that's my closing on the pamphlet. All right. The Reynolds pamphlet. Oh boy. We did it though. We're moving on. We'll be back in just a moment, everyone with burn. We are back with Burn. Uh, I put in my notes here. I have one word for this song. Fuck. In like, just an emotional sense. Like, fuck. Like, having to watch Eliza go through this, it just fucking sucks, man. Like, in, in the best way, but also just, oh, no. Right? And it's like, and then her son is going to die later. So it's like, you know, Eliza's just not getting a break for these couple of songs here. Um, you put in your notes how weird would it have been to have all of this happen and not get her point of view. And so it's so necessary that we do get how Eliza's reacting to this and how she feels about this. It's essential um, to the to the musical to have that emotional weight. It would be really inappropriate, I think, if we got Angelica's reaction and not Eliza's, right? And so here we are. We have Eliza's reaction. My second note was Philippa Sue, I Love You. It hasn't changed all musical. I just like to put it in any song she she showcases in. I like to just chuck it in my notes. Um, but before we get into our potential, maybe not, but potential feud about Angelica here, um, let's just do all of the Eliza stuff first because it's her song. It's her moment. Um, it, this song is about her. It's not about Angelica. And just, dude, what a heartbreak for her. Just absolute what a heart. Like, what a heartbreak. Yeah, and that's part of why I think it is essential that we get this reaction here, just because of how extensively devastating her reaction is, right? How how this news affects her, how these events affect her. And I didn't include this in my notes. I do apologize. I didn't uh, warn you I wanted to talk about this, but we did at one point, we got an email at one point I assume it was from Mia. I apologize if it was from somebody else and I'm mis, uh, misreferencing it. But there was someone who critiqued uh, a comment I believe I made about we, we know Hamilton's the protagonist because the show is about Hamilton. And the comment from the email, which I agree with, is that the show is called Hamilton not because it's about Alexander, but because it's about Alexander and Eliza. And this is a really good opportunity for me to clear up and say, hey, email sender, I actually do agree with you and always have. And it's going to be a big part of my commentary about uh, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. But that uh, spo uh, spoilers for what's coming next. Look forward to that. But that's part of why I think that it is essential we get this here, because this is an opportunity where the playwrights get to engage in just raw storytelling, raw fiction making. They get to indulge themselves in conjecture a little bit and give us the audience 
what Eliza's reaction could have been. And I think that there, I, I think the representation of what Betsy felt and what Betsy did is, is informed by Chernow's records. And I think that that's important, but what we get is raw dramatic power from Philip And if we lacked it, right, how weak would it be otherwise? I mean, just the, the fact that we have, imagine if you will, imagine if you will, these three songs that we've just discussed and the pure energetic anarchy that they represent at times, how energetic things are, all of the pamphlets moving around, hurricane, the stage rotating, the lights rotating, all of the, the ensemble moving around them. And then we distill everything down into this one number. I argue that everything that came before this number would mean less to us if we did not have burn. It's seeing how all of this affects Elizabeth Schuyler that makes the rest of it so much more important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think this this moment for Eliza is is essential to making sure we fully understand what the right like you have this implication. It's easy to just look at Ren- like it's easy to look at the Reynolds panel and go like what a fucking idiot, whatever. Like you know what I mean? But like it's this emotion that adds the weight to what came before it. Right? How does this actually affect the people who you'd think like Eliza it would affect the most and so she starts here by going over the types of letters hamilton has written her and this is something we've been hinted at before you know we talked about it just this podcast that this was kind of set up for us we understand hamilton is someone who likes to write a lot um you know earlier in helpless they were writing letters nightly to each other helpless satisfied somewhere in Mm -hmm. there uh they're writing letters to each other nightly Right, so it's a it's a frequent letter writing thing. So we we know of <laughs> Hamilton as a letter writer, which makes a lot of sense. And then mm-hmm. um, what we get here is just how sincere and lovely those letters uh, were. You know, you and your words flooded my senti- uh, senses. Your sentences left me defenseless. You built me palaces out of paragraphs. You built cathedrals. Like just how won over and wooed and just. I don't know, man. Like the way she describes these letters, it's upsetting. Now, like it's upsetting because you only get to hear about them now. How much she, they meant to her? Like it sucks that you didn't know this before. But man, it's also upsetting because you, as the viewer or listener, you can make the assumption that that she is Hamilton's emotional confidant, his emotional foundation, but that Angelica was his mental equal. Uh, that that he had a philosophical, intellectual relationship with Angelica that he didn't have with his wife. And here, the way Byrne is written, she matches him intellectually pretty well. This is some good writing. You know, this is her voice. This is Eliza's voice, and it is very poetic and very intelligent. And so this number lets you know it's unfair to assume that Angelica is the only one that could have matched him mentally. His wife could have matched him mentally if if he had given her the chance. And the show yeah. gives us reason to believe that he doesn't do that, you know? It's beautiful, the alliteration here, the, the repetition. It's 
this is good storytelling. This is good poetry. It's fantastic. It's, it's so I and I, I'm really trying with this song to be a little more analytical than we were during. Oh, I'm shit with song names today. The one where after Washington sends Hamilton away and, you know, Hamilton comes back to find out Eliza's pregnant. What's that song called? Fuck me. Uh, that would be the other emotional. Yeah, yeah, that would be enough, right? Like the other emotional Philippusu song from Act One. Most of my analysis for that was just me repeating, oh, it's just so human over and over again. But it is, like, that is the analysis of that song, is it's just a real, raw human emotion. And that's what we're getting here. So I'm trying to be a little more analytical because I just, when I edited that podcast, I was like, I don't know if my analysis here is much other than just saying, like, wow, what a powerful human moment. But how fucking powerful is this song? And I'm trying to leave all the Angelica stuff till the end, just so I can swoop that up in one kind of piece here. And I find this set of lines really fascinating to me. Like, I'm rereading the letters you wrote me. I'm searching and scanning for answers in every line for some kind of sign of when you were mine, the world seemed to burn. And I love... So there's a bunch of things to break down here. The first is, that's that's what it feels like. Anyone who's been cheated on or through a breakup or whatever, you almost retroactively apply how you're feeling now to the entire thing. Because if she was just rereading the letters, she would find that stuff. But she's rereading it with this emotion. The letters haven't changed. If she found that in the letters before, presumably she could still find it in the letters now. So it's very human to me, and I hate to make this analysis again, but it is. Like, it's very human to me that how you read something is based on your emotions. It's why when you reread books or re-listen to podcasts or watch Hamilton for the fifth time, you notice new things every time. Or you feel differently about things once you have experience or, like, more life experience or more perspective. Returning to stories and books and these types of things change how you view them over time, much like a set of letters would. On the other hand, though, I also find this a little weird... Because the original sin that Hamilton committed, like we've talked about, wasn't that he wanted to hurt Eliza or hated Eliza or mistreated Eliza or anything. It was a combination of like stress and Mariah Reynolds showed up and he has no self-control. And he like, you know what I mean? And we've talked about that a lot. But it, it says something to me that like the the emotion she's feeling, like the hurt and the heartbreak, is just overriding anything that's in these letters, which presumably haven't changed at all. Yeah, uh, but we also uh, the uh, there's it it is fundamentally changed. Like the letters haven't, but of course everything has changed. You know, and I, the whole time you were talking about your sensation experiencing this song. I was reminded of my sensation hearing you discuss helpless from act one and talking about the inversion of that word uh, specifically because you, you think that helpless would be a bad thing, but it's presented as a positive thing, right. you know? And here I feel like we get an inversion of that initial inversion. I feel like she's what what we're getting here in the lyric. We're getting the world seemed to burn. I think she's saying you set my world on fire. It was amazing. This is this is Betsy saying you you made my life light up. It was brilliant. And so this is setting us up for the dramatic reveal at the end of the or the middle to the end of the song. Like, you know, what I'm going to do with everything that you wrote me. 
I'm going to burn it. You, you put everything that you and she wrote out in the world for posperity. It, this is, That's never this is fucking nuts. So on top, so we are still learning all the dumb shit that Hamilton published. It doesn't end. Like it, it doesn't does not, end. Yeah, it doesn't end. Like we already learned that like where they were having sex was in these letters. And you're like, surely that's all he's, he published the letters that Mariah Reynolds wrote him. Why? Why on earth? What the fuck? Like, oh, yeah. it's so, he's... it's infuriating. Obviously for Eliza, also fucking heartbreaking. Like just, it's all like, just like, cause for her, we're all, we're all hearing all these details and going like, huh, what a fucking idiot. Why did he publish this? Like her life is crumbling and every detail is someone pulling another Jenga block out of the bottom of with the tower she's got going on. Right? Like it's ridiculous. This whole thing just fucking sucks for her. I also love how savage she is. She calls Mariah a girl. Right. Instead absolutely. of a woman. I mean, it's subtle, but it's God. I love savage Eliza. Yeah. And then he put, and then I love this line too. In clearing your name, you ruined our lives. Obviously brilliant. her life is, it's a brilliant line, but from Hamilton's point of view, right? He ends up losing this. But his original calculation was, I'm going to ruin her life, but not mine. Like, his original intent was to publish all of this to defend his legacy for him, not for her. So it's it's sweet justice that both of their lives get ruined. But I think it's worth examining just how much Hamilton's life gets ruined. Because the whole reason for doing this is so his life wouldn't. Right? Oh, Yeah. I mean, it it does not turn out the way he wanted, of course. I think that there's layers here. I think that uh, this this harkens back to her saying, if we could be enough. When she says, if we could be enough, she's talking about her and Hamilton together. She's talking about her and her uh, unborn son, right? And then if we as a family could be together. So there's three different layers here. Here... When she says you've ruined our lives, you've ruined your wife. Your you've ruined your life with me, as a wife. You've ruined that. You've ruined our, as in me and our children, right? And you've also ruined Mariah's life too. Not that I care, but like you've ruined every, everybody that's involved in this. You've ruined their lives. You've ruined all of our lives, including yourself. Right. It's. It, again, it's just uh, my analysis for these types of songs is very difficult because it's like it's just heartbreaking. Like she's just telling the story and it's just heartbreaking and it just is what she's saying it is. And it just sucks. Well, it, it it definitely does suck and it definitely is heartbreaking. But it's in the in these intimate moments in the show, there's room to pause and look at just how good the writing is. I mean, it's just, it's deep. It's well thought out. Like, it is just so brilliant. The 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 lyrics they give Philippa here, ah, oh, it's just so good. I this is a great song. I like how she goes through the effort of reading the whole Reynolds pamphlet, right? To just really absorb all the hurt. I think, I think a lot of people would have dealt with, uh, I guess they don't do summaries at the time, but a lot of people might have just heard the summary and been like, you know, I don't need the details, right? Like, I'm... I'm good. You know what I mean? But like taking the effort to go through and like critique the writing, like critique 
the reason for him doing this i think is a is a we're going to two weirdly kind of really enjoyable um kind of moments of uh, eliza's agency where she takes control of her own life and her own situation which is you know it, it makes you feel at least a little bit good for her that she has she's taking mm-hmm. control of her own situation this is one of them like she's gonna go and she's gonna read the entire fucking thing so she knows exactly what you did to her and then she's gonna critique the whole thing right Mm -hmm. you know your words obsessed with your legacy your sentences border on senseless you are and you are paranoid in every paragraph how they perceive you now i love this because everybody is guilty and this is where a lot of life happens in the gray i'm definitely one of these people who is always guilty of when you're writing something whether it's an email or you're, even if you're talking to someone, people try their best to be perceived well all the time. People generally don't like being perceived poorly if they can avoid it. Now, everyone has their own cost about whether it's worth being perceived poorly to achieve the thing they're trying to achieve, right? You know, when I go to work and I need to do some scheduling thing, right, sometimes I have to choose between, like, logistics and people being happy. And sometimes you pick people being happy so that people like you, and sometimes you choose the logistics because... Um, you've built up enough goodwill there. So I like, though, that one of her critiques is like, you're paranoid in every paragraph how they perceive you because it almost means Hamilton did a really good job with his pamphlets because that's what he was trying to do. He, that's what he was worried about. He's doing this whole thing so that people perceive him as someone who had an affair, but an honorable, non-criminal person otherwise, right? Like, to me, it's almost this weird, like, at least Hamilton achieved the tone he was going for, which is not nothing. Like, he's a great writer. And I, I, I enjoy that her view of this is, like, the way she's perceiving it in a, in a negative way. I like that it actually, this negative outcome is being, like, viewed as what he was intending, right? Kind of doubling down that this is a terrible fucking idea in the first place is that he's getting his desired outcome. The people reading this understand that he's concerned with his legacy, which is what he wanted. But it's so fucking inverted and fucked up that even what he wanted was a terrible idea in the first place. And I like that little... Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it almost seems to be like a confirmation of how fucking dumb this whole thing was. Yeah, I don't think that you're reading too much into it because I'm... I, uh, because my reading of it is that she's disgusted by his preoccupation with how the world thinks of him. Yeah. Is that is that what you're yeah, getting that's, at? Well, that's, 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 what that's how wanted. I read it. Right. His letter that oh yeah. Yeah. He he want he wanted the world to think well of him. And she's saying and I think this is why you the word you is repeated, how they perceive you, you, you. What I get is you're so concerned with yourself, you forgot us. And and that's that's what disgusts her. That's what breaks her. Is you know you're you're paranoid about how the world thinks of you, and she's disgusted by how selfish that is. I also what it leads me to wonder is what would the situation and reaction have been like with Eliza had she just found had Hamilton just been honest and just like walked into the room and said, "Hey, you know I've been sitting on this for a long time. I've been feeling a lot of guilt about it. I had an affair." But without all of the rental pamphlet shit where he's inviting people into their bed, like, I just wonder how much of this absolute disgust is for the situation and how much of it is because of the Reynolds pamphlet. Because it adds, like, a fucked up on top of a fucked up, right? Like, on top of the fact that you had an affair, which is one set of things that I feel about, you also then 
publicly embarrassed me by publishing every detail about this affair to everyone. Right? And so I wonder how much of this absolute disgust is for the Reynolds pamphlet part of this, which is fucked up, or for the original thing that's fucked up. And I, I don't think it matters, and I don't think we need to dive into it because we're never going to get the other version. But I think it is interesting that she also seems to be at least really upset with the idea of the Reynolds pamphlet on top of the idea that he had an affair. Oh, no, I think you're hitting on something brilliant there because we're not, we're not instructed by the show that he told her we see her holding a pamphlet. Like, we, I believe that we're instructed by the show that she found out from the pamphlet just like any, everybody yeah, else. that's did. what I get from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that just makes it worse, right? I don't think we're supposed to contemplate an alternative version. The only version we're supposed to contemplate is the one that's presented to us in the text. Yeah. And that is, she found out like a chump, just like every, every other chump that just got the pamphlet. And that makes it worse. You know, how, if you're going to do it, Hammy, can't you, can't you uh, invite your wife into your office and say at least, hey, I'm about to publish this thing. I'd like to tell you what I did. Right, it's kind of like, yeah, absolutely. God, it just makes him so much worse. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Um, Then though, then we get the second little bit of Eliza taking control for herself, which is fucking awesome for her. That she's not going to kind of rest on her laurels here. She's going to take control of the situation. I'm erasing myself from a narrative. Let future historians wonder how Eliza reacted when you broke her heart. I love this for two reasons. One, the agency reason. It's nice to see the, the show portraying a strong woman lead here who is taking control of her own situation and isn't like being completely bossed around by this man figure who's abusing her or cheated on her or whatever. Like, I like that portrayal. Of a strong woman mm-hmm. character. I also, agree. I, do. I love the let the future historians wonder. You're like, yes, get him. That's what he cares about. The worst thing that Hamilton, like the worst thing that can happen to Hamilton is that people are going to be left to wonder. Like he wants people to know what happened for his legacy. And I love that for and she, her. And she oh, says, yes, gotcha, bitch. Right? Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that for her. That she's yeah. like, hey, 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 that thing you really want that people just know everything about everything. Fuck you. I'm deleting all of it. Yes. Go you. I, as someone who wants to study this period, very bummed out that she burned all of it. Totally understandable, though. Mm-hmm. Right? As someone who's like, like anyone nowadays wants every historical record they can get, regardless of where it's from or what. Like, we're humans, I think, are really keen to understand the past. And so having any kind of burned document from anything historical really sucks. But in the moment, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And this is the part of Hamilton's life that is so difficult to track because she does do exactly that. And it's why when you look at, you know, Hamilton being the forgotten founding father, Eliza was also the forgotten founding mother because she did remove herself from from the narrative. And even though she, as we will see later, she put herself back in. Her controlling how she's represented in this moment really gives her agency and power. And it is, it's a moment of spite, sure, but that's understandable. It's also a moment of her taking her power back, and I love it. I love the way it happened in reality, and I love the way it's represented in this show. And I particularly love the way Philippa plays it, because it does, it feels so empowering. It's so good. It's just so good. 
Yeah, and then she's going to watch it all burn. Like, she's watching it burn. Very cool that we're transitioning different stages of burn here and what that word means through the song. Um, but then, I really like this. The The world has no right to my heart. The world has no place in our bed. They don't get to know what I said, right? And also, like, burning the letters that might have redeemed you. I wonder... Like, that's so fascinating to me for a few reasons. I'm assuming these are, like, the love letters that he wrote to her is mm -hmm. that redeeming right so the situation in my head is that hamilton has this affair he publishes the pamphlets and then like he dies eliza dies everyone dies and like people find these letters way later and then they look back on the situation and go oh it's okay that hamilton cheated because he wrote all these like nice letters to eliza but in my head, that makes it worse. In my head, that makes it worse. Like, the, to me, the more letters there are of how much he loved and cared for Eliza adds to how fuck, fucking shitty it is that he ends up cheating on her. I wonder if that, I wonder if this hypothetical situation is that, is even redeemable. Like, I wonder if these letters are even redeemable. I, I find it interesting to think about as a thought experiment. I think it is. I think her position in context, in historical context, I think her position is you're facing public backlash because you're being perceived as being dishonest, irresponsible, disingenuous. She could say that she could argue with the letters of love between herself and Hamilton. She could say, no, he was always in love with me it was just a mistake and he was extorted. If, if she and Alexander had been unified, if it had been a God, you know, the, you know, the country song stand by your man. I mean, if it had been, if it had been something like that, she could have chosen to remain allied with her husband and said, my husband is not the bad guy. James Reynolds is the bad guy. Not only did James Reynolds pimp his own wife out but he extorted my husband in fact you know what my husband was willing to take it on the chin and claim to be the bad guy he was willing to be the villain in his own history but really he wasn't it was james reynolds i stand by him because look look at how much he loved me you could extrapolate all of this out to where you get to a place like that right i think that's the possibility that that dialogue discusses there interesting I'm getting like not full kind of Hillary Clinton vibes, but I grew up during that time where Hillary Clinton and yeah. Bill Clinton had that, like Bill Clinton and yeah. Monica Lewinsky had that thing. And, you know, mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton as a very public person had to go through her kind of recalibration of her marriage in real time in public. And so I, I can see how mm -hmm. that, I can see how that happens. Like I can see that. Yeah. I think there is the alternate universe that I'm talking about though, where it actually gets worse. Like I think, Eliza is hedging her bets because either way she wins if she burns them all. I do think there's an alternate universe where you take the risk of leaving the letters and they actually make it worse, but also make the situation that you have is another kind of possible route. I, th I think the potential, I think the potential eventuality that I'm discussing is a longer road to walk down. And I think it takes more work and I think it is harder to navigate. I also don't think it works out well because, um, I mean, because frankly, 
I think you bringing up uh, Hillary Clinton as a, is a pretty decent uh, comparison here, and look at look at her public opinion currently, right? So like I I think that's a pretty that I think that's a pretty good analogy. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the Clinton weeds, but I think that that was a good that's a good reference. There. Well, it's just something I'm familiar I think- with. Like, I grew up of from that. Like I when I was like first like watching tv for the first time you know uh, every every fucking channel was you know Mm -hmm. some interview or another with hillary clinton or people speculating about her or what she's thinking or what she's doing or is she gonna stand by her husband is she gonna get a divorce like it's all like that's what i grew up so it's the only situation i could even relate it to even if it's not perfect yeah well and i think that you know liza has some abilities and advantages here that Hillary wouldn't have. Number one, she can actually control the situation by burning things and she can control the situation by getting out of the public spotlight. And she wasn't a political figure in her own right in the way Hillary was because Hillary was less of a political figure than her husband, but she also had governmental ambitions and governmental uh, practices in her own right. Whereas uh, Eliza was less political. I think it's fair, the comparison between public consumption of her response, but I think the discussion between the two only proves how smart Eliza is here. You know, the one way I can win is to back out. The one way I can win is I'm going to be only myself. I'm not going to engage in this anymore. And in a way, that makes her look much more much more intelligent than her husband. Because she does what he doesn't. He decides, I'm going to write it all down. And she says, you know how I'm going to get out of this? I'm going to destroy it all. And also... In doing that, in trying to end this situation, in trying to win, if you want to like reduce it down to one word, is there anything more complete? Is there anything worse? Is there anything... God, is there anything more harmful you could possibly do to Alexander Hamilton than to burn things that he's written? Right. I, I, that's what I, I'm agreeing. I think I think this like, is a sensible uh, way to quote unquote win if that's what we're reducing it down to. I just like the thought experiment of extrapolating it out. If she doesn't do this, right? Yeah. Sure. I just I I I enjoy the thought experiment. I do. And I think it's a road that's worth going down. Please don't misunderstand me. I just am so content in just celebrating what she achieves here. Absolutely. Um, and finally, before uh, I get to Angelica and my hotty hot takes, um, you know, the last part of this song, also very powerful, you know, her taking control again of her situation, saying, you forfeit all rights to my heart. You forfeit uh, the place in our bed. You'll sleep in your office instead with only the memories of when you were mine. I hope that you burn. Eesh. Yeah, it's tough yep. look for our dude Alexander here. It's never great when your wife wants you to burn whatever you want to do. It's not great. It's not ideal. Um, I do like what I like is 
the best storytellers to me, the best storytellers to me are storytellers who find a way of injecting just the slightest, like just the smallest amount of levity or comedy or light in a dark time. Right. I always find those moments the most compelling writing because it's so hard to do, but if done successfully, really emotionally engages you. And the line, you'll sleep in your office instead. The way Eliza delivers that is very powerful and emotional and it, it's keeping in tune with the song, but also just gives you the one chance to just kind of like chuckle for a second and be like, <laughs> fucking deserves that, doesn't he? You know what I mean? Like you just get this, this half a second here to just enjoy Eliza's revenge here because that is funny. That is a funny, like the revenge of burning all the letters and stuff is not funny at all. But nope. that you'll sleep in your office instead is like the last little bit of revenge she sets out to do here. It's just like a funny little obvious, like you just assume that would happen. She doesn't need to tell you because you assume that that's going to happen. But I just like it here. Just as we're coming out of this, right? It, it just gives us a, the slightest little bit of comedy or levity um, while also not detracting at all from the emotion that you're meant to be feeling. And I, it's hard to do and I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's the period equivalent of making him sleep on the couch. That's right. You know, it's yeah, yeah. It has this domestic comedy to it that that I also enjoy. Yeah, You're absolutely not wrong calling that out. It's 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 so cute. All right, I've got a quick thing I want to get to before you open up the can of worms that is your Angelica shit. <laughs> um, I got to talk about the dress that that philippa is wearing here i want to call out this particular uh costume design because the because of just how perfectly brilliant it is uh she's she's in a simple color palette some some kind of uh white or light cream uh and a blue uh ribbon uh an empire waist with a very low neckline but not uh you know, like a low scoop neck, right? Not like a deep V, but, you know, I, and I like the, the simplicity of it. It is, it's simple, but still elegant. It's appropriate to her status as the wife of Alexander Hamilton and also uh, as a Skylar, right? It is a garment that we would expect her to to be able to afford in her own right, even if she wasn't married to Alexander. Because remember, she was New York Dutch royalty before she ever met him. She elevated his status. So this, the way the document, the the garment is adorned, is appropriate to her upbringing. But that, the simple colors, it suggests purity, especially blue. Right, blue always suggests nobility or purity in garment design, and that low neckline, you can almost get the vulnerability of her like it's approaching exposing her heart and that's what exactly happens in the song and the unity between the costume design and what happens in the number is to me i think it's what it's what truly makes effective costume design it's one of these great moments of effective design lining up with the importance of what the narrative is trying to achieve on stage. And again, it's one of those moments in Hamilton where 
We talk about Yorktown. We talk about Hurricane. We talk about these big spectacle moments that are so crazy. This is one of those subtle, small moments that needed to be called out, in my opinion, because it's brilliant because of its simplicity, right? So shout out once again to the Hamilton costumes. That were not purchased at Value Village, Brad. (laughs) They were not, especially not the one with the king. The king's costume (laughs) was not purchased at Simply Halloween or wherever. You know, you could probably live that down if you stop bringing it up, man. (laughs) I just think it's such a funny thing. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, okay. Uh, I'm actually going to take a quick two minutes to go to the bathroom here. I know we're already running long, but I want to make sure I can get my whole Angelica takeout. So I'm going to be right back. And then we'll be back for, for old Brad's Angelica take here. All right, everyone. It is time for Brad's Angelica take. Whether it will be hot or cold, I have no idea. I've only tested this takeout once, and it was very hot at the time. I am hoping that you were very drunk. I'm hoping that sober Brad articulates my take better than drunk Brad did. Although I agree with drunk Brad and what he said, the way he presented that take was not ideal. (laughs) So I'm hoping that after two coffees and some water instead of whiskey or whatever I was drinking, this will go better. So I want to talk all about Angelica here and specifically Angelica. And I want to start my takeout by saying that none of this has to do with Eliza. It all has to do with Angelica. This is a take about Angelica, not Eliza. Everything I said about Eliza in our last bit of analysis, completely true, 100%. I don't want to amend any of that in this take. So we have a few moments here of Angelica reading Hamilton the Riot Act, right? Which I think is appropriate. And I think it's important to start my take off by saying that Hamilton is an adult. He's a full-grown man who has made a bunch of poor decisions. He doesn't need a babysitter. This is not anyone else's fault. Uh, This isn't Angelica's fault or Eliza's fault. This is squarely Hamilton's fault. And I don't want my take to overwrite that one kind of truth that goes above the take. That is, this is Hamilton's fault. It's his own doing. He doesn't need anyone. Like, there's no one else whose fault this is other than his own. But I do want to highlight Angelica here because I do struggle a little bit with how she has handled some of this situation. And this is mostly a life lives in the gray argument. Because what happens in this song is Angelica shows up, she fucking bosses up Hamilton, and we're left going, good work, Angelica. Well done. You did the right thing. You stood by your sister. That was a great choice. Right? And while 95% of that for me is completely true, in this isolated incident, she made the right choice. She got the Reynolds pamphlet. She booted her ass back. She stood in front of Hamilton. She read him the riot act. No, fuck you, right? Those are all things we want Angelica to do. I do struggle a little bit that Angelica has always known that this could happen and is kind of all of a sudden, like, surprised to the point of just fucked, fucked, like, angry that this has happened and doesn't do a moment of self-reflection as to how we got to this point. Right, And maybe it's just that the musical doesn't have time to explore that. But how this happens is like she tells Eliza, like, you've married an Icarus who has flown too close for the sun or to the sun. And if you want to know more about the story of Icarus, feel free to, to look that up. 
But Angelica is not not in that story of how Hamilton acquired his wax wings and how he ended up flying close to the sun. The one thing Hamilton says to Angelica is, you're like me, I'm never satisfied. Before Angelica ever introduces him to Eliza, she knows this about him, right? And then later is like, be careful with that one, love. He will do what it takes to survive. So this is all characteristics of Hamilton Angelica knows about, right? If you are extrapolating this further, Angelica could like see a world in which this kind of situation would happen to her sister, right? And she takes that information and still she's betting on the stock market here. You know, Hamilton, he's a good stock, he's attractive, he's going to be a soldier, he's going to fight. You know, he's a good bet. If we put our money on him, the chances of us making loads of money are great, right? There's also a little bit of downside when you invest in anything in the stock market, and that is that sometimes those stocks are volatile and they have those properties at which you're kind of hedging your bets against, and that's what Angelica has done. She knows all this about Hamilton, that he will do what it takes to survive, that he might be an Icarus that will fly too close to the sun, that he'll never be satisfied, all of that stuff. And she decides still to bring his ass over to Eliza and hand him over and elevate, like, plays a crucial role in elevating his status. A critical role in making sure Hamilton ever gets to the point where he's able to even make this choice. Right? And then, like, for her to just go back to Eliza and be like, well, you, mar you married an Icarus. You married an Icarus. Like, I get, like, I like the sisterly advice of the whole thing, but to me, there's just something about that where I just, like, you, like Angelica, gets, Angelica gets to benefit of all of the high stock options here. Like, she invested all of her money in Hamilton stock, and she has gotten to benefit from all of that for a long time. She has this person to write letters with. She has this intellectual equal. She would have married this guy herself, right? She would have married this Icarus herself. She said as much. And she gets all of that. But the bad side of the stock, the downside of the whole thing, gets dumped on Eliza, which is just such an unfair situation considering Angelica made this initial investment being the one out of all these people that knew that this could happen. And I just feel like the musical doesn't do enough to just, it's like a 2% thing, right? And it's, she's not culpable in the way that she's responsible for this whole thing, but she has played a role in making this whole thing possible and has benefited from all the high upside of Hamilton without having to handle on her own shoulders any of the downside that she's bet on. And I just, it frustrates me a little that we never get to explore that. And that's, I think that's the most eloquent way I can explain my take. Oh boy. So I, I, I do think, I do think that you are contradicted by the musical itself. In what way? I I've don't... never watched this musical and felt any different. Every time I feel more and more convinced of this take. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm just, I think my, my reading of the musical, I think you're, I, I, I think that, all right, let me, let me separate my response into two distinct and very different components. Okay. I'm excited. I'm ready. Okay. Because. Because I, I, I want to ask you for further clarification, and that's that's going right. to influence my two my two right. distinct components. I think we we need to explore whether you're alleging Angelica is knowingly culpable, or if she's accidentally co culpable. 
accidentally culpable. She didn't like go up to Hamilton's house and go, hey, you should cheat on my sister. Right? Like, it's not, that's not what I'm saying she's done here. But what I am saying is Mm -hmm. she has had, she is the only one of all of these people who has read Hamilton correctly. In this musical, Angelica understands who Hamilton is. Right? And we learn from Eliza that she tells Eliza these things. Like, hey, he's going to do what it takes to survive. She knows from the first meeting that, like, he will never be satisfied. Right? So I do find it just a little bit, like, when he ends up having this bad side that she knows about, I do find it a little bit just, ugh, that she just gets to come and read him the riot act as if she could have never seen this coming. As if there was no way in the world that she could have ever envisioned this happening. Right, it's just not culpable. It's not her fault that this happened, but she has known okay. for yeah, yeah, she has yeah. known for a yeah. long time that this could happen. And then when it does happen, she just gets to come and pretend like she didn't really know that it was going to happen, and that she just gets to be so angry at Hamilton. Like to me, that's the part where I'm just like, I wish we got to explore that a little more. I wish we had that moment of Angelica on the boat being like, Ah, is this my fault? Even if it's not her fault, but like that's how people mm. feel, mm-hmm. right? I wish we got that with Angelica, like. Did I do this? Did I set up? Why? Like, because in real life, Angelica would have gone through all of the steps in her brain. Like, oh, did I make a mistake? You know, introducing them. Should I have married him? Would I have handled this better? Like, these are all things a real person would have felt. And in the musical, we just get Angelica rocking up and just yelling at Hamilton, which is fair. She should do that. But the, the, ex- the exploration between her reading the Reynolds pamphlet and her approaching Hamilton and what goes in the middle there is a huge miss for me because I think there's a lot of self-reflection there that I just want to dive into because she is part of this story. This isn't like Hamilton marries Eliza, who's her sister. He then cheats on her sister, so she's mad about it. She plays a much more central role in the whole thing. And I want to explore how she feels about that role, even though it is not her fault. She is part of that story, and people feel that way all the time about things that aren't their fault. Like If something bad happens... People always feel like, hey, what did I do? What could I have done? And even though like survivor's guilt is a thing, like, even though it's not fair, people feel that way. And I want to explore that more. I guess that's also my take. So, but you're, you're acknowledging that it's not her fault, but also examining her culpability. Like, what are we, what, what are we doing? No. <laughs> so here's, so here's my, th- okay. I, my reading of the play is that Angelica both understands what Hamilton is capable of, understands the fact that he is... He is a... uh, He is capable of absolute shenanigans that Hugh Hefner would be envious of. She knows this about him. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. She so knows, she knows this about him. Yes. But my reading of this telling of this story, and I want to go back to helpless and satisfied is that Angelica witnesses Hamilton around Eliza and Angelica witnesses the courtship between the two of them. She witnesses Hamilton being integrated into the Schuyler family as a whole and believes that Hamilton with her sister is a different version of himself. Angelica believes, oh, he's not going to be that kind 
of philandering, horny, mad dog that he could be. And because of the time of the courtship, she's given enough opportunity to finally pass off on things and given reason to believe that by the time he has finally settled down with her sister, Angelica believes that it's possible for him to be loyal, right? And because Angelica has dialogue, she has interruptions, she has interjections in that period of time, I feel like she is given opportunity to protest to them being together if she was given reason during their courtship to believe that he was still capable of the tomfoolery that she knew of him when she met him. Yes, sure. But then I want to explore that. Like that, that period of time is still missing for me where and like Angelica doesn't sit in a boat for weeks going over to Hamilton and just do nothing. Like there's a period of introspection there on Angelica's part where she then goes in her own head. Fuck. I was wrong. Right. If like, if what you're saying is true and she's like, she's fully convinced of this version of Hamilton, then I'm assuming, I'm assuming on this boat ride, she becomes unconvinced of that and has this. That's why she's so, that's why she's so angry when she arrives. She's, it was, it wasn't that she took a risk on her sister. It's that she thought she was right about him and was proven wrong. He insulted both her heart and her intellect. One of the things that we learn about her the fir- the like the earliest in the show is that she takes her intellect very very seriously. She she I don't know if he intentionally pulled the wool over her eyes, but she was convinced that he was safe for her sister. And she was proved wrong. That's why we get all of that vitriol from her. You lied to me. I thought you were going to take care of her. You lied to me. I trusted you. It, like, is, I'm still missing something here. Like, I get what you're saying. I, like, part of my take is that I'm like 95% completely on board with everything you're saying. There's just something missing for me. There's something missing with Angelica where it, it just doesn't quite hit for me that she just rocks up and yells at Hamilton. Like to me, there, there's just something there that I wish we just got more to explore. Cause what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me, but that's not, to me, that's just not for how integral Angelica has been in this whole situation. That's not enough. Like she doesn't get enough stage time to, to, to carve out her portion of this, whether it's her culpability or not her culpability or whether it's her feelings or not her feelings. Like, to me, just showing up and yelling at Hamilton, which is fair and what she should do, isn't, isn't quite enough for me to insinuate everything you just said, right? Like, Okay, so, so let's, if I may, let's take it in two separate directions. Number one, the first direction, I'm just going to be purely practical here, just purely practical. Uh, there's about four dozen songs in the show already. <laughs> right. And we don't have enough time for Angelica's monologue on the boat on the way back to the States. Also, it would completely ruin the momentum of this four song unit. Okay. So just for, just in terms of stagecraft, that's, that's one direction I can respond to you. Uh, the, the first direction is just me saying, Hey Bradley, it's not the script. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but number two, let's get, you know, we talk about living in the gray a lot. Let's get really, let's get, I don't know. I, I was about to say cynical. I don't know if that's the right word, but let's live in the gray. 
whether she's culpable or not, talking about her frustration, talking about like, does she earn this moment? Is it, does this make sense? Imagine this potential headcanon, if you will. Look at everything that she says to Hamilton in Reynolds' pamphlet, and imagine, if you will, the subtext is, we had a good thing going, you and I. You and me, Hamilton. This was working. And the one thing you had to do to make you and I remain possible was not fuck things up with my sister. We had our letters. We had our flirting. You and I had a good thing going. I kept you in my life. But you've gone and ruined it. Like, why would you do? You've, you've, you've ruined everything. Yeah, so, so, so this I is don't... what I'm saying. So what I'm saying is I'm not fully there. Like, that's way too cynical for my take. What I am saying is Angelica has gotten this benefit from Hamilton of having this part, like, this intellectual equivalent, this muse, this person she's been writing to for decades. Like, she has received a benefit from this whole situation, which makes her not just the sister of the wife, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like him and mm-hmm. Eliza met separately and they got married and then she's just righteously angry that he cheated on her sister, There is a percentage of being in the gray here, just like Hamilton married Eliza for Eliza and for all the money and status and power and wealth. Like there's two things that can be true at the same time. And that's that 5% where I'm missing from Angelica is I don't get that little gray bit where she also is like, and you fucked up the thing we had. And I liked that thing. That can be like such a small part of her thinking, right? But it's probably still there. Or if it's not, like I just wish I got that gray area there. Because I think it's probably partly true, right? Not as not 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 quite as far as what you just said. I think that's far too cynical for Angelica. I think she's doing the right thing. I just think there's got to be a sliver in there where it's like, and now I don't have my thing that I enjoyed, and now I've got. I I think Eliza and Angelica are intentionally above the gray. I do I do not find them to be culpable. I think that it's the point of the story to show that Hamilton corrupted them. Uh, Ham, uh, Angelica had an opportunity to decline uh, Eliza's marriage to Hamilton. She endorsed it. We show that the, we we see that their courtship was not short. Angelica and Eliza find uh, the morality of this play. It's Hamilton that corrupts it. I just don't. No matter how you slice it. <laughs> I don't see culpability. I don't. And even I, I tried to invent it. I tried to see where it was possible. And it's shocking to me. I'm surprised. Like, I can find that cynicism more believable than you did, that headcanon that I invented. You know, but I just I just don't see it. I don't see it. It's so fascinating because I, I just, I cannot watch this musical and not feel that there's got to be something more from Angelica than just the god i hope you're satisfied like i just there's just and i don't know i can't articulate my take any better i think i just knew we were gonna like stand on on a disagreement on this one and that's fine that's like the point of doing this podcast right right but also like there's just something and maybe 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 my take would be the same as your take is if i just got that little bit of extra where i i just feel like there's something there Right, because Angelica in the musical maybe is above the gray, but that's not, no one ever is above the gray. 
right? So to put Angelica completely above the gray doesn't sit perfectly correctly with me because I we can invent this really easy situation where she's in the gray and it can be like the slightest bit of, it can be white with the slightest tinge of black, just a little drop put in there. So it becomes slightly uh -huh. gray. But that, to me, that's where she needs to sit then. Like, she, like being fully above the gray, I think makes a lot of sense for Eliza in this situation. But for Angelica, I just think she needs to be slightly more in the gray. That's a great way to put it. And we can disagree on that. But I just think if, if Eliza is the one in this situation is, that is above the gray, then Angelica, I think, based on all of the context of the whole situation, just needs to be slightly inwards from there. And I leave feeling like they're both in the same level. And yet, uh -huh. none of this happened to Angelica, right? If, like, none of this, like, this is all happening to Eliza, who gets to be above the gray in this situation, right? But Angelica, I think just, it's, it needs to slightly move in there. And I just wish we got to explore that, because you're right. Part of my issue is that we leave with Angelica just being way above the gray. When in reality, she's a person, and like all people, you live in the gray. And from a storytelling point of view, you can't have everyone be in the gray all the time or else your play would be a million years long. So I think make Eliza above the gray. This is a bunch of fucking dumb shit happening to her and it's heartbreaking. But I think Angelica is just not in the same situation and hasn't quite earned being equally above the gray as Eliza is. So you're writing this musical. You're making this story happen, right? <laughs> And all of a sudden, you actually indulge this impulse to have Angelica go through all of this stuff right now. You ruin the momentum leading into Burn. But, but so I, so you're, from a stagecraft <laughs> point of view, you're probably right. But because I haven't seen that version, I don't know if it ruins the momentum. Maybe having an Angelica song after Burn, or before, like maybe there's a way to rework it. Maybe if you had the Angelica bit, Burn would have been different. And maybe we would have hated that mm -hmm. Burn or loved that version of Burn. Right, like in this alternate universe, anything could have been possible. Right, like the what if I told what if I told you there used to be another song before Burn? That would be great. That would be awesome. But it's not there. There was. No, I'm sure that, but it's and not they, in the musical. And they cut it because it doesn't work. I don't care. I want you, it. I still want. It. it doesn't work. You can't have it there. There used to be a song before Burn, <laughs> and it's what we're talking about now, and it didn't play. All right. All right, we're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there. We're just going to disagree on this. I want this song before Burn. I want a little more from Angelica. But that's okay. All right, I'm I'm uh I'm writing down uh that uh, I'm I'm adding uh adding an episode to our post act 2 <laughs> episode. I think we're going to have to revisit this and come back to Tunk it. Tonk on Brad and his dumbass take that there needs to be a song. Uh, get us out of this episode. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us this episode. And thank you for indulging my Angelica take, which I knew was going to be super hot coming in. Uh, it is not in my own head been sufficiently cool, but I think what would be cool is if you guys let us know whatever your take on Angelica is. This is our first kind of notable disagreement in this whole podcast run so far, which is actually very impressive, right? You'd think we disagree on a whole lot of things. Even our season one or act one awards were hilariously similar. And so I think for our first like notable disagreement, we should have you guys like tweeting and emailing in. And I think between the two of us, we would love to read those emails. But whose side are you on uh, with this Angelica debate? 
Otherwise, go do all the normal things you guys normally do. Leave five-star reviews, hit that subscribe button, go check out the Bridgerton feed. Um, but yeah, that'll be it. Only like three or four more episodes left of the of Hamilton, and then we get into the Dunk on Brad episodes, which will be great. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one.